Tech Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Out Live, we'll be talking to Jeffrey Morrison. He'll explain when it's the right time to buy a new TV set. You'll also hear from Daniel Aaron Dilger and Ross Rubin about Apple's financials and lots more on the Tech Night Out Live. We have tech writer Jeffrey Morrison, who covers, as they say, the TV and audio beat for a number of publications, including Sound and Vision. Now, I was mentioning to Jeffrey... I remember Sound and Vision when it was once called Hi-Fi Review, Hi-Fi Stereo Review, Stereo Review, and Sound and Vision. And the magazine is still going strong after, what, four or five hundred years, Jeffrey? Uh, at least, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, Edison had that spinning disc years ago. Right. I think right. we had Stereo Review then called Hi-Fi Review. And that's where Julian Hirsch, who was the dean of audio reviewers, the late Julian Hirsch, hung out. I believe you are correct, yes. I read that magazine before you were born, Jeffrey. <laughs> yeah, perfectly fair. I, I certainly did as well. <laughs> he doesn't want to tell us that he's four or 500 years old, too. There was a piece you ran over at CNET about when to decide if it's time to replace your TV. And I guess you have to consider this, too, that the TV set, isn't that the device that you buy a TV and it's supposed to last 10 or 15 years? Well, it's interesting, and, and there's certainly a, a thought that many people have that, well, I owned a CRT and it lasted 30 years, and you know these new TVs should also last 30 years. And I guess for some people that's, that's valid. Maybe that's what they're looking for is just buy one TV and have it forever. But the TVs today are so much better than they were from 10 years ago that I can't even imagine wanting the TV that I have now 10 years from now. And it's not just a question of you know buying something new and shiny. It's really just that the technology has progressed so much and so fast that what's going to be available in 10 years is going to be you know, bigger, cheaper, flatter, better looking than anything you can buy now at any price. So, so you have a 10-year plan is what you're specifying here, maybe. <laughs> uh, well, even I mean, it certainly can be even less than that. I mean, the TVs that came out six years ago, five or six years ago, are not as good as what, what's available now. Okay, let's take uh, a look at the set that I bought, for example, in maybe 2007, five years ago. Now, I have a 2008 set, and this has crossed my mind, but 2008, I kind of think, is still too new. But I get the set maybe in 2007 or older. I have a TV set in my son's bedroom, and he no longer lives with us. He lives in Spain. He's a grown man now. But that set was purchased in 1994, a Sony CRT set, 27-inch, still going strong. <laughs> sure, and, and if that's all you're looking for is just, is, is just something to have to watch occasional TV and, and you just kind of want it to work forever, then, yeah, those CRTs are, are great. I mean, they had been developed for decades by the time most of us had, had bought them in the 80s or 90s so that they were, they were pretty solid pieces of equipment. Uh, even the the newest flat panels, they've only been in development for televisions for you know maybe ten years. So there's obviously going to be some you know I don't want to say bugs, but there's still got the longevity is not going to be there of modern TVs that they were from CRTs. Are are any LCD or plasma is going to last thirty years? I I doubt it. But there's no reason why they shouldn't. In reality, the repair rates and and the the uh, defect rates on on modern televisions is much less than most people think. 
So plasmas and, and LCDs are actually very, very reliable. It's unlikely that you're going to have a problem with them in the short term, and they probably will last quite a while. I guess my point is that I don't really see the need of, like, why would you want the TV to last 30 years when 10 years from now you'll be able to replace it for something better and larger for way less money than you paid for it now. Okay, let's take a look at that, for example. Now, today's plasma, and I'll look at a 2008 plasma, Panasonic, that I have. They advertise the panel life as 100,000 hours, which is something like right. 30 years at, what, eight, nine hours a day, after which brightness decreases to half the current level. So it means it gets a little dimmer. Right. Yeah, that's the, the fairly standard half brightness rating so that it gradually gets dimmer. And by the time it reaches 100,000 hours, it's half as bright as when it was new. And you really notice it then? You would definitely notice it, yeah. I mean, if you put that next to a new TV, you'd say, oh, yeah, look how much you know, dimmer it is. But you wouldn't necessarily notice it over time. It's just going to get – it gradually gets dimmer, so you're not even notice anything's going on. Or you make and, it brighter if you can. Um, well, eventually, yeah, you try to increase the contrast, but that's, there's a limit to how much that will actually work because it's the phosphors inside they are actually just losing their efficiency. Okay, we understand the they last for a long time, but now right. if we have the set that's five or more years old, now that's where we say, you know what, maybe you should think about updating. So even if you bought a flat panel set, say, 2007, 2006, a bit older, what do they get today? that makes it worthwhile to upgrade. Yeah, I mean, the performance is going to be a little bit better across the board. Plasmas have gotten better black levels over the past five years. LCDs have gotten better contrast ratios over the past few years. So, you know, putting them next to each other, that the current television is going to look better than five-year-old or six-year-old model. Is it going to be a massive increase? Well, probably not. It depends a lot on what you're upgrading from. But there will be an improvement in terms of, of picture quality. But more importantly, it's going to be it's, it, they're going to be larger for the same money that you spent in 2007 for a 42-inch or a 50-inch. You could easily get 55, 60-inch TV now or, or more. They're a lot more energy efficient, the LCDs and the LEDs uh, especially. But even the plasmas have gotten a lot more energy efficient, so they'll cost you less to uh, to run, you know, no matter how many hours you're running it, it's going to be more efficient. Then there's also the features. So 3D is obviously the big thing, and pretty much all the TVs now are 3D capable. Or internet streaming features like Netflix and uh, some new TVs have web browsers built in and so forth, which aren't huge things. You can kind of get those features elsewhere, like buying an Apple TV for 100 bucks or a Blu-ray player for 100 bucks. But having all this stuff kind of built into the TV is, uh, is at least cool. And if, you, if people are looking at the new televisions and they haven't bought a Blu-ray player, they haven't bought an Apple TV, then having those features at all is a great thing. Where you get them is kind of not important. Let me ask you about 3D here. Now, I think the question we'll have about 3D is, with the movie Avatar, everyone decided we've got to have 3D. But except for that, maybe Alice in Wonderland and a handful of other movies, does 3D even make sense? You know, I'm not a fan of 3D at all. Uh, I'm kind of a, uh, I come from the idea that if the movie is well made and well written and well, well you know, performed, it is 3D. You're not looking at a screen, you're, you're in the movie, you're involved in the movie. So 
to me, 3D is a distraction and a layer between me and the enjoyment of the movie, which isn't to say that I haven't seen 3D that has been neat and whatever, but it's, to me, it's a gimmick, <laughs> which is tough for a TV reviewer because obviously I have to review 3D stuff with the mindset of, well, some people like this, so is this good if someone likes it? The thing about 3D now is that it's, it's rarely adds much of a price premium to TVs at this point because almost all of them have, at least in the mid to high-end ranges of the TVs, they pretty much all have 3D. And you can use it or not. It's a feature. If you want to buy extra glasses and have the whole family watch 3D movies, then that's, that's great. Go for it. It's certainly easily doable. But for those of us like myself who don't really care, you don't have to turn it on. You don't have to use it. You don't have to buy extra glasses. It's you know, just it's, there. It's just there. But and quick, I think in another year or two, it's, it's going to be – it's never going to be – I don't think it's going to be forgotten. I think there will still be a push because movie studios can make more money on it, and therefore everyone wants to make more money on it. But it's day in the sun has, has passed. Uh, I don't think there's going to be as much of a push for it in the next few years. Now, one question I'm going to ask you, and we'll start here, and then we have to move to our next segment, and that is what about 3D TVs that don't require the glasses? Is that feasible yet or soon? Because I think that's going to be the real watershed here. If you don't have to worry about those horrible glasses and you just look at the set and you have 3D where it's available, that might make a difference, especially if it's done well. And that may be the big question here. Can they do it well? Is it going to take a few years to get it on and figure out what's going on? We have Jeffrey Morrison. He's a tech writer, works with CNET and Sound and Vision magazine. And we're trying to tell you whether or not you're ready or should get ready to put that money away, sock it away to get a brand new TV set. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. You know, we develop trust in the people we know, but we don't really know someone we can see. That's why I recommend GoToMeeting with HD Faces. It's a simple online meeting service. It's GoToMeeting by Citrix. All it takes is a webcam and a click to instantly collaborate. You can start hosting your own face-to-face online meetings today with GoToMeeting. You can try it free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, and use the promo code PODCAST. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com radio, DreamHost.com radio. Hi, Jason Lewis here. Anybody who's been listening to my program knows how shaky the U.S. economy is right now. Will we have a V-shaped recovery or will it be a W-shaped one where the nation slips back into recession? Of course, if you think that Washington can spend or inflate its way out of a downturn, you've got nothing to worry about. But as you know, I have my doubts. So let me tell you about gold. Now, as my friend Ted Anderson from Midas Resources likes to say, gold, like all commodity markets, fluctuates in price, and you could lose money. But it has never been worth zero. Give it some thought, and if you're interested in converting your IRA to gold or would like to actually have it in your possession, call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237. 
The U.S. dollar was once backed by gold, but has since lost 90% of its value. And if things don't change, I'm afraid the trend will continue. Call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237 for gold and tell them Jason Lewis sent you. Don't answer it. If fear strikes your heart when the phone rings knowing it may be another bill collector, it's time for you to call Zero Debt in 90 Days. 800-477-9256. Settlements, bankruptcy, and attorneys are not the answer and may end up costing you up to 10 times more than necessary. Listen, if you're already in debt, does it make sense to get buried in another payment plan? Zero Debt in 90 Days gets you out of debt in 90 days guaranteed without a payment plan and without attorneys or going to court. Get the fastest relief from debt on the planet when you call 800-477-9256. If you have debt with the IRS, credit card, student loans, or foreclosure, we can help at Zero Debt in 90 Days. And we're the only organization to provide written guarantees on the results. Go to ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. That's ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. Or call now for free information. 800-477-9256. That's 800-477-9256. So you're a maker of something. Woodcrafts, fishing lures, glass designs, jewelry, purses, perfumes, goat's milk soap. Whatever it is, you made it here in America. Now you're eager for people to buy your products right here locally. Instead of buying competing products made on the other side of the world, right? Then you need to check out localmakers.com. Support America. Buy and sell locally at localmakers.com doesn't matter if you're a home-based business or a major manufacturer. Localmakers.com offers an easy way to connect with customers within your local community as well as across the U.S. simply by entering a zip code. And there's no cost to join. So if you're a maker who needs buyers, go to localmakers.com and stock your products on one of our shelves. Localmakers.com. Promoting, preserving, and supporting your neighbor's manufacturing businesses. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow night owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. With Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Owl Live, we have Jeffrey Morrison, tech writer. We're talking about when it might be a good idea to consider buying a new TV set. So, Jeffrey, 3D without the glasses, what's happening? Well, you know, it's been kind of the holy grail of, of 3D for a very long time. It's, uh, the official name is auto-stereoscopic. And it's feasible now. It's certainly possible. Toshiba showed off a, uh, a prototype at CES last year, actually, and, and, and this year. And it's, it works, sort of. You can, if you're standing or sitting in a very specific place, and the, of which there are maybe four or five different places that you can sit or stand, yeah, it works. You, there is 3D without the glasses. But if you move off to maybe an inch or so to the right or left, you lose the 3D image, other artifacts happen, and there's other downsides to it. So although it seems like it would just be a logical progression, it's a huge technological leap 
to get us to the point where that would be feasible in, in the average room with, you know, any different given TV set. So and right now, of course, we're even, talking about then right now, then that's kind of a head in the vice situation, like the original days of stereo, where you want to hear yeah. good quality stereo. You sat in the living room sofa and you had enough space for two people to get the right imaging. Otherwise, it didn't sound so good. Yeah, and that's yeah, exactly. That's a that's a good analogy where you you really can't move at all. You can't lie down. You can do that, and because each eye needs to have a different piece of information for the brain to perceive it as three dimensional. So how does the TV beam that specific information into your eye without the other eye getting the wrong information? That's why there's glasses and why the glasses work reasonably well. Um, there are ways for them to do it without using the glasses. But it's very difficult, and there are problems with it. So I don't think it's something that's worth waiting for. It's not something that's on the horizon, even though Toshiba keeps you know, talking about their version of it. This isn't going to be something that's going to be in the mainstream, um, if at all, but certainly not in the next few years. So basically, if you are looking at current TV sets as to whether to upgrade, 3D is not an issue unless you want to tolerate the glasses. Now, when we get to things like... Internet-connected TVs, Internet-connected TVs, Netflix, stuff like that. As you say, you aren't tethered to the TV set. The Blu-ray player can offer and Apple TV can offer these things. You don't need a new TV set just to get connected stuff because there are other, obviously, a lot cheaper ways. But in terms of picture, of course, now you have 1080p as a standard definition. But that's only a recent development, just a few years. Before that, you had 720p. And 1080p is a bit sharper, and of course, it's the maximum resolution for Blu-ray. It is, and, and it's certainly, if someone wants to upgrade from a lower-resolution TV, that's certainly reasonable. thing is, is that your eye has a limited amount of resolution that it can actually perceive, and that varies when it comes to televisions with how close you're sitting to it and how large the television is. Most people sit about 10 feet away from their television. And at that distance, your eye can't resolve the difference between 1080p and 720p televisions under a screen size of about 60 inches. So if you have a 42-inch TV that's 720p and you're sitting 10 feet away from it, if you upgrade to another 42-inch TV that's, that's uh, 1080p, you're not going to see a difference. Uh, there might be other benefits to, to a new television with contrast ratio and color and so forth, but in terms of, of just specifically resolution, uh, your eye really can't resolve it, not until you get a much larger screen sizes or you move a lot closer to the television. Now, another issue might be the HDMI port, which yes. recent sets have, but older sets may not have that or have an older version of HDMI that will not work with current encrypted content. This can be a serious problem. Explain this. It can be, and, and it's called um, uh, the analog sunset. And what's happening already is Blu-ray players aren't allowed to have component outputs anymore on the players at all. Um, and the only analog outputs at that point are standard definition. So if you don't have a television with HDMI, you can't upgrade to a new Blu-ray player because just there won't be a, a way to connect it that, uh, that's HD. Even worse, uh, studios can, and they, uh, so far there's no real, I don't think any studios are doing it. They can actually put a code into their discs that disable the analog output on older players so that you only get standard definition out of the component outputs for older, older Blu-ray players. Now, at the moment, that doesn't see, it's called the image constraint token. And at the moment, I don't believe any studios are actually enabling that, but they could. So without an HDMI connection, it's possible that the Blu-ray discs, you know, new Blu-ray discs will only output 
standard definition over component um, or an old analog outputs. It probably won't happen. Um, too many consumers would be too angry, but it is possible. And if you want to buy a new Blu-ray player, it's only going to have an HDMI output. So in that case, you would have to buy a new TV. But the other thing is, of course, that there are a couple of different versions of HDMI, the more recent version being something that supports encrypted content, so like a flag can be set like HBO was doing it with some services, so therefore you can't pick up their content unless you have the newer HDMI? I hadn't heard it in that way. I mean, most of the new the newer versions of HDMI are backwards compatible to the older versions. But I hadn't heard that uh, that H- HBO or something. I hadn't heard that. Okay, I heard of this just very recently, so I wasn't sure what's going on. Obviously, with an Apple TV, it's got to have HDMI. There is nothing else. So that way, right. the original high-definition sets, they're becoming obsolete just by virtue of that. Yeah, and it's funny because the televisions themselves were fine. They probably look fine even now. It hasn't been that long. But the movie studios in Hollywood kind of pushing their anti-piracy measures is actually making these old televisions obsolete because of the connections. And And sometimes you think, though, that the studios encourage piracy by being a little bit too proactive about it. It's uh, that certainly an argument can be made that, that because they're clamping down so much that more people are driven towards piracy just to, because they can't get it legally. And there was certainly an issue with something like uh, if you're trying to watch uh, a, bl- a bunch of different shows, it's just, they're not available in any, in, in, if you don't have a certain type of subscription or if you don't do this, then there's no way to get these shows until m- many, many months later until they come out on DVD uh, or Blu-ray. So it's certainly not something I've done, and I don't, I don't even condone it. I think it's a terrible idea because as a content producer myself, I think the idea of stealing content that someone else has made is kind of abhorrent. Uh, but people do it, and you know, I don't think Hollywood is treating, you know, going after it the right way. I think they're going after a problem that should be dealt with both a scalpel, a scalpel with, you know, they're using a sledgehammer, but it's out there and it's a problem, and... Um, the, the, the copy protection is a problem, I should say. Uh, but I don't know. There's nothing we can really do about it because all that content is coming from Hollywood. And they, now, we know with the music want. industry, they learned, and with iTunes, for example, they offer now DRM-free content without it's restrictions. The key being, I think, the key being that if you make it easy for people and you don't overcharge them for legal content, most people will say, yeah, I'll buy the legal content. I know it's good quality and everything else. If you start making things difficult, putting too many restrictions on getting things legally, that encourages piracy because they, people say, well, why bother? It's just a mess to do it if I want to obey the law. We have Jeffrey Morrison joining us. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many 
formats I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. BePrepared.com is making deals in April because you need to be prepared now and you need to save. BePrepared.com is the official site of Emergency Essentials, a 24-year leader in emergency preparedness supplies. Everything from long-term food storage to emergency kits, water storage and filtration to alternative light and heat sources. What's on sale? Now through Monday, save 28% on a freeze-dried garden vegetable combo, which includes peas, corn, beans, cauliflower, celery, and onions. Save 33% on the Catadine Hiker Micro filter new instant white rice as low as 849 and a 72 hour mre food and water supply a 72 dollar value for only 49.99 and much more at beprepared.com call 800-999-1863 to experience exceptional customer service and our low price guarantee that's 800-999-1863 hurry the beprepared.com april sale ends next monday the choice is clear be unprepared or beprepared.com Iodine protection packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with microplant powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. That's what it sounds like when a burglar kicks in the door of a dark house that looks like no one is home. Don't let your home be the next target. Make it look like someone is home watching television with fake TV. Fake TV is a small electronic device that makes the same light as a real television. So from outside, it looks like someone is home watching TV. Fake TV plugs in just like a lamp on a timer, but is far more convincing to burglars. Fake TV deters burglars, costs far less than an alarm, and is highly recommended by numerous police departments. Use it anytime you're away from home. To order your fake TV for only $34.95, go to faketv.com or call one 1- 877-5-FAKE-TV. Each additional fake TV is only $29.95. So get one for you and one for a loved one. For safety, security, and peace of mind for both of you. Call 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to faketv.com. Faketv.com, the burglar deterrent. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. With Jeffrey Morrison, tech writer, working with CNET, Sound and Vision Magazine, elsewhere, we're talking about TV, TV technologies, a little bit about 
the issues of piracy. Jeffrey, do you agree with me that maybe if the studios made it a little bit easier for people to own legal content, piracy would be discouraged? I th- I, yeah, I'm not sure necessarily discouraged, but I think it would be reduced to some extent because I think what people want is, is the old like the VHS model where they just kind of put a tape in and they can watch it whenever they want. And what, whatever the studios can do to facilitate people to be able to do that is a good thing. Instead, the studios almost want a model where you pay every time you watch it. I think for most people, that just seems ridiculous, uh, especially if someone has kids. I mean, how many times most parents will put in, you know, Finding Nemo or, you know, some Pixar movie, and they watch, the kid watches it a thousand times. I mean, can you imagine having to pay a dollar or three dollars or five dollars every time the kid wants to watch a movie like that? I mean, it's ridiculous. But that's certainly what a lot of the studios would love to have happen. And it's just unrealistic. Now, the other thing that's happening, though, is that sales of Blu-ray and DVD are going down. Is that because of digital downloads? Absolutely. And streaming, certainly. I mean, there's still money. Studios are still making money with with disc-based content, and they they will for at least a number of years. But absolutely, streaming is the model that, honestly, kind of everyone wants to move towards because... Uh, the studios don't have to have a physical disc or something to to produce. They can just charge pretty much a, a just charge for the content. Uh, consumers like it because obviously it's easy. We all do it. The only people that don't are kind of movie collectors, and I count myself as one of them, where they like having that disc on the shelf and they like being able to pull it down, watch it whenever they want. Uh, and there is also something to be said about having a physical copy of something. Because hard drives, there's the old joke that the only two types of hard drives are those that have failed and those that will fail. So if someone has stored all these movies that they bought and that hard drive fails, are they able to get all those movies or music or photos, whatever it is, are they able to get it all back again? Probably not without buying it again. That's the whole other thing. Well, I think Apple is trying to make it easy for you to work with their iCloud system. But the other problem with streaming and online presentation is Obviously, there are bandwidth caps with ISPs. I'm not talking, you know, the very restrictive bandwidth you get with your wireless carrier, but the major ISPs, it's only so much that you can download before they call you a, an abuser or they suspend your account or they warn you or something. So if you were to have constant streaming of high-definition content from Netflix and Apple TV, whatever, that's got to cause problems. And that's certainly something that all the ISPs are seeing and that they want to move to a tiered model on the Internet, and, and there's a lot of push. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the whole push for net neutrality, where the ISPs are saying, no, we want to charge more for, pe- for uh, the streaming services, and, and everyone on the other side is like, no, the, the Internet is, is compl- you know, should be completely neutral. There should be no additional fees for doing different things, and that's why it works, why it's always worked, why it should always work. Uh, so it's it's and that's why like one of the one of the big pushes of this is that everyone points to Netflix and says at night Netflix is the largest uh, a chunk of internet bandwidth is going to is going to and from Netflix as people watch as stream movies at night so it's only going to get worse in that way it's only going to become more of a controversy it's going to become more of a push on the side of the ISPs and everyone else because you're right it, there is a limited amount of bandwidth. And even if we increase the bandwidth, there's still going to be some other use for it. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's only going to get more interesting from here. Well, certainly if people are talking now about, say, Apple producing a subscription service, which means they give you all of your TV content, you pay a monthly fee like it is now with 
you know, your ISP with their cable services, your Cox, your Comcast, your DirecTV. If you did that with streaming video, you'd hit your bandwidth cap pretty quickly. It's possible, yeah. And and there is a question there of, of um, how how much competition did the Comcast and AT&T and, and all these, how much competition do they really have? In most areas, you have maybe one cable company. You, may, you can probably get satellite. You might be able to get uh, Uverse or Fios. Um, but there isn't a ton of competition there. And so I think that's one of the reasons why people are um, afraid of the, the rumored Apple ITV service is that it kind of gives people what they actually want. Is like, I want to pay for you know, this, and that's it. I don't, I, you know, for me, I have no use for the 30 sports channels that my AT&T Uverse has. I would never watch something like that. But I have to pay for it. And the same thing, if sure, someone else is, would say the same thing about, oh, I don't need the movie channels, but give me all the sports channels. So there is something that um, the cable companies and so forth, they don't want to um, uh, give that kind of a la carte pricing but that is one of the things that was rumored about the Apple ITV stuff is that that's what they want to do. So who knows? That could be a, a, a pretty big shift in how we all watch television in the future. They probably but, would also have to make arrangements with the ISPs, even if we don't want to have any restrictions in terms of net neutrality. If they're using so much bandwidth, there'd have to be some accommodation because the ISP doesn't want you to grab all your bandwidth from what is a competition to their cable TV service. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, it gets to be pretty crazy. But yeah. the question is also looking at the existing players and where it might go. Netflix, for example, is having a world of hurt because they're trying to cope with all this stuff, trying to juggle streaming and physical discs. And they've run into all sorts of problems, partly because they did stupid things. I, absolutely. I mean, that's, I, I think the, um, the way that they kind of handled all of what went on last year, from the raising the rates to the name changes and all of it, um, I mean, they, they, it, was like, it was like watching a puppy run into a wall. I mean, it was really just like, what are you people doing? Uh, because the way that the, the price increase, I believe them when they say that they had to raise prices, because the, as they got larger, the studios would want more and more money. So, of course, you know, it's cutting into there. So I would, I, and to be perfectly honest, I, my rates went up by a fair amount. Maybe it was 8 or $9 a month that it went up. I still think it's a good deal, so I kept both services. Um, so that, I think it was a, the, the uproar about all of this was not so much that they increased the pricing. It was how it was presented to the consumers, where Netflix sent out an email that basically said, we're raising our prices, and if you don't like it, too bad for you. <laughs> But maybe if they had a friendly letter from the CEO saying, folks, you know, we love you, we love your business, but here's our problem. We have the content providers saying we've got to give them more money or they won't give us the content. We know you want the DVDs to keep for an unlimited amount of time. Something's got to give in order for us to stay in business. We have to charge more money. This is how much. Either an apology or or an explanation or something to diffuse the blame because otherwise it just came across as uh, a complete corporate arrogance and greed. Which maybe it was, but it, it didn't need to come across that way. So there was a lot of people who were very angry at that, and they had the whole thing about, well, we're splitting up the company to do this and this, and that was a terrible idea. And um, so they, they've they've had their problems. It's still a good deal. It's still a great service. Uh, I still think they're going to be, you know, I, I, the news that came out today was that they're only 
they lost eight cents a share or something that was better than people were expecting. And I think Netflix is going to do fine. I don't, I'm not, they're not going to disappear. They're too big. They're too ubiquitous. Um, and like I said, I like it. I'm not going to, you know, I think it's a fantastic, uh, you know, way to spend 25 bucks a month. Now, just interesting here too, there's a story that's out in the Washington Post this week. You probably haven't seen it, so I don't want to sandbag you with it. I just saw it as I was looking here. As users flock to iTunes, Hulu, and Netflix, TV stations struggle to survive. I guess it's part of it is to whether there is a future for free television. I mean, most people have cable. They're paying for everything. Most people have or satellite, or they subscribe to one of these services and for the most part, they're paying for their reception. So the strict free broadcast, is that a model, a business model, that is going to be yesterday's news-like component cable on Blu-ray players? An interesting you know, concept. It's an, excellent, it's an excellent question. I mean, I actually wrote an article maybe a little less than a year ago that I said, okay. Okay, let's go into the article in a moment because I have to break. We have sure. Jeffrey Morrison joining us. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack. of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack Attack. of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Healthy soils grow healthy plants. So before you plant your survival garden this year, is your soil healthy? Maximize your crisis garden soil with EM1 from Terraganics. EM1 organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant provides healthier gardens and faster, efficient garden composting. EM1 from Terraganics.com quickly improves soil structure by increasing nutrient availability and converting organic matter into soil humus. This improves seed germination and root growth, improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, nutrient value of fruits and vegetables and improves shelf life. And when rain is not in the forecast, no worries. EM1 improves moisture retention in soils, helping reduce drought stress. Just like you prepare all else, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics, life's getting better. 
four, five, six, even seven dollars a gallon? According to fuel industry insiders and economic experts, those are the forecasted fuel prices with no end in sight. Fight back fuel prices with a fuel saver from airfusionsystems.com. These fuel savers can save you from 20 to 40 percent. They're designed to fit any vehicle from compacts to SUVs to transport trucks. The fuel saver works on all gas, diesel, even propane engines. Easy do-it-yourself installation in about 15 minutes. And the best part? No engine modifications, no computer chipping, no running wires, no chemicals, no water, no running costs, and no maintenance. And these fuel savers come complete with all parts and accessories. See how it works at airfusionsystems.com, spelled A-I-R-F-U-S-I-O-N, systems.com. Or call 888-887-9981, 888-887-9981. Fuel savers from airfusionsystems.com. Save fuel, save money, save earth. In an emergency situation, would you drink contaminated water? You could if you had the amazing Life Straw from MyPatriotSupply.com. Life Straw is the most advanced personal water filter available today. It filters contaminated water from almost any source. Life Straw is lightweight and compact, perfect for hiking, camping, or in an emergency like a flood. Life Straw is easy to clean, comes with a one-year warranty, and has been used worldwide since 2005. Get the amazing Life Straw personal water filter at MyPatriotSupply.com. Plus, check out Survival Seed Vault, 20 seed varieties for only $37.95, Tatler canning lids, long-term storable foods as low as $69.95, and much more at MyPatriotSupply.com. Enjoy stress-free shipping on all orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927 or visit MyPatriotSupply.com. That's 866-229-0927, MyPatriotSupply.com. For emergency preparedness, self-reliance, and food independence. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Jeffrey Morrison. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're on the Tech Night Out Live. Jeffrey Morrison is a tech writer, works with CNET and Sound and Vision magazine and elsewhere. And we're exploring TV technologies, when it's ready to buy a new TV set, when's the right time? What about TV programming? And you were telling us... You did an article about, I guess, the future of free television and how it's going to work with all these paid services and the streaming services. So what's your reaction? What's your take on that? The idea for the article was um, the so-called cutting the cord. Like if I wanted to, to ditch my cable service, uh, how much would it cost me to continue watching all of the shows I currently watch in a timely fashion? I mean, if you don't care about you know, having a water cooler conversation with your coworkers or your friends about what happened on Game of Thrones last night, then you could just have Netflix and eventually those shows will probably show up there or you could watch them online or so forth. So my idea was if I wanted to watch the shows that I liked in a timely fashion and on my, my big TV, how much would it cost me per month without cable? And it ended up being, you know, because you'd have to buy the shows from, uh, either buy the shows from iTunes, or you have to pay for Hulu Plus and Netflix and so forth. And it ended up being a little more expensive for me per month to buy each individual show. But as I said in the article, that's a, but that might change depending on how much you actually watch. You know, if you don't watch as much TV as I do, and I don't watch a ton, but it's a fair amount, then maybe you could save money just buying each show that you want, either, like I said, on iTunes or Amazon or so forth that it is doable. And so if 
there is a push towards that model where, you know, let's say the show's on NBC or CBS or like a, 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 sh- a weekly show that you like watching, instead of paying for cable to have access to NBC and ABC or, or wherever, that you actually pay that show individually, like, I would like to watch this show, and I will pay $20 or something to watch every episode of it, that could happen. That could be a, a, a future where we pay for whatever show we actually want to buy. I don't know if that works financially for anyone other than a consumer, but it's certainly a, a possibility. Part of the issue here is, of course, unbundling. You know, instead of getting 400 stations with maybe four or five that you like, it's deciding whether you can get the five stations. Part of it also is the content providers will go to the cable companies or satellite companies like, for example, Fox or NBC or any of these companies and say, okay, here's our deal for all 19 channels that we offer. And you've got to pay us for all 19 regardless of what your viewers will accept. So therefore, right. if they have to pay for 19 stations, they are sure as heck going to want to charge you for the 19 stations. And I would find it interesting if, uh, if it went to a la carte pricing for cable uh, and satellite and so forth. It would be interesting, I think, to see what channels would disappear and what channels would people not want to pay money for and, and what, show, what channels would people want to pay money for. Would people find it interesting that something like ESPN costs them a huge percentage of their cable budget each month? So for those of us who never watch ESPN, would we save a ton of money by getting rid of just that one channel? Uh, and I raise my hand. I don't need ESPN. I've never watched it. No, yeah, me, me, me either. I watch occasionally. I'll watch a football game, and I watch all as many hours as they broadcast of the 24-hour Le Mans, and that's my sports viewing for the year. But for other people, obviously, it's it's something. It's a big deal for them. And when I wrote my cable cutting article, that was one of the a few of the comments that I got were from people saying, "This is all well and good, but what about sports? Because you can't." Real, at the moment, really do any sort of, of a la carte pricing for sports stuff. You either watch what they broadcast on Fox and CBS and ABC, or you pay cable and satellite for their huge sports packages so you can get every game, whatever. Those are, those are the only two options. But it goes with the other stations, too. So, for example, we have the NBC-owned station, which is now NBC Comcast, like USA Network and the Sci-Fi Channel. And I don't care about the Sci-Fi Channel. I don't care about Eureka and being human. But USA Today, I like Fairly Legal. I like the Rizzolian Isles show, the various things they have in USA Network. I don't want sci-fi or vice versa, but I have to take both because they're paying for both. Right. And is there something to be said, like right now, I, I don't watch sci-fi, but when Battlestar Galactica was on, of course, I'm watching that. So is there something to be said? It's like, well, I, your programming is crap now, so I don't want to pay for that channel. So that, that certainly becomes a problem for for budgeting a, a, a network. Because but they also see that in ratings. They're going to see the ratings go down if they have lousy shows. True. Uh, but I think, it's, I think it's a, there's a softer cushion there because you are getting a certain amount from cable and so forth where uh, maybe not sci-fi is not the best example, but other cases where they are getting some money from non-ratings-based sources. So basically know, they'll certainly... continue a show that may be a middling success and let you see a full season of it because they know, look, we're getting money anyway. Let's run the show. Maybe it'll take off. Maybe it doesn't. But more often than not, with cable TV series, they don't cut them after four episodes. You know, where they're setting up a series arc of an overreaching story, they'll let it go the full season, then maybe cancel it. Right, exactly. And, it's, and, and there's also a different level of success. And, but if we move to a method where... Um, you know, or if the move is the method of, of paying directly for a show from a consumer, 
then I don't know. I, I don't know what that would do to the budgeting. So you, you have something like uh, Arrested Development going up on Netflix. Netflix paid them to pay to create a whole new season of Arrested Development. Uh, they're they're going to put all up at the same time. What's that going to do to Netflix? Are people going to sign up for Netflix for a month to watch those episodes? Probably. And the other question being, will people chance shows if they're put in the position where you want to chance that show, you've got to pay for it. But if you know you get the full network's content, doesn't matter. Maybe you'll chance those shows. Listen, before we let you go, as you were suggesting, you buy a new TV set today even. Ten years from now, you want to get another set because it would be bigger, badder, or cheaper. What are we going to see in the TV sets of 2022 that will make us want to upgrade? Well, and I hope it doesn't take that long, but I think OLED. OLED, I think, is the, is the next generation of TV technology. Tell um, people so what OLED is. is. This is a little bit geeky. It's an uh, it's, uh, organic light-emitting diode. It's thinner and, and higher performing than anything that's out there right now. From a, a techie standpoint, each pixel on the television is uh, independently lit, kind of like a plasma, but, but better because it's, you can shut it off to have an actual black. So the contrast ratio is legitimately nearly infinite. Um, so the image is just significantly better than anything you can get right now. Plus, the, the TVs are thinner and lighter and much more energy efficient. So the idea could be you might pay $1,000 in 10 years and get a 100-inch OLED television to, to tape up to your wall because it'll weigh three pounds. And we saw prototypes this year's CES, and um, the rumors have it that they might be available later this year, at least from LG, possibly from Samsung, uh, if not early next year. And they'll be expensive. They'll be ridiculously expensive. But so were LCDs and plasmas when they first came out. So. The performance, from what I've seen uh, up close, the performance of OLED is just staggering and so much better than what you can get right now. Uh, so hopefully those prices will come down, and within a few years you could get pay maybe a slight premium over a plasma or LCD set and get this beautiful OLED TV um, that is, you know, amazing. And maybe you'll get the 3D without the glasses. Well, and they'll probably all have 3D, but yeah, that, that next step without the glasses... Who knows? Who knows? Maybe in 10 years? Why not? Let's, let's say yes. <laughs> now, is everything going to be online in 10 years? Is that also true? Will I think it's it, possible. Yeah. I think, uh, I, think Blu-ray is, uh, I think Blu-ray is definitely the last physical disc format we'll have. Uh, I think that, that is the end of that era. And how it's, uh, you know, whether it's then um, you know, hard drives or you know, streaming or whatever, I mean, I think... Uh, everyone would kind of want, want to move away from the disc format. So will there still be some available? Probably. I think maybe you'll still be able to buy them kind of like you could buy laser discs up until like 2002 in some places. Um, but um, but yeah, it's going to be a niche format at, at best. Uh, we're, we're, everyone wants to move away from, from discs. And we'll have the unlimited bandwidth where the content providers won't charge us exorbitant fees and the wireless carriers or the cable and satellite providers won't say, well, you can only take so much and then you're going to bomb your bandwidth limit. Well, let's hope so. Uh, and, and certainly in America, we are uh, behind most of the developed nations in terms of the amount of bandwidth available uh, per person or per household. So hopefully that will change uh, over the next few years, that the bandwidth will increase. I mean, the people who are lucky enough to have access to FiOS, 
Um, I mean, they're looking at download speeds of something like 50 megabits per second, where most houses are, you know, that don't have that access are looking at, you know, 10 or 15. So, I'll tell you what, tell uh, our listeners, Jeffrey Morrison, where we can find more of your stuff. Uh, sure, you can follow me on Twitter, which is uh, TechWriterJeff, uh, G-E-O-F-F. And uh, I link to all my stuff from CNET and Sound and Vision and HDGuru.com and all the other places I write for. Um, that's the best way to find me. Give me that a name one more time. Tech Writer Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, on Twitter. Jeffrey Morrison, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. All right, thank you. Thanks for having me. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. We're talking less than a day after Apple announced the second highest revenue in the company's history. Above Wall Street estimates, a few questions here and there we want to ask. But the one thing that was happening ahead of the run-up to the financials, Apple's stock price went down 10 or 15% suddenly within a few days. What happened? Yeah, it plummeted. for the. There was a five-day run. And then over the weekend, it, it started to kind of, early in the week, it kind of started to rebound, and then it fell back down again. So right up on actually the, in the, the even the day of earnings, like before they they announced it after the close of business, but during the day that Apple was going to release its earnings, the the stock kept going down. And there appears to be a couple of different concerns, which are were kind of strange. One of them was that uh, there's an analyst that said Apple would be um, faces some problems in the future because a lot of its income comes from the iPhone and the carriers, or many of the carriers are paying high subsidies and kind of suggesting that they're going to stop paying high subsidies. And what was particularly strange about why that would make a, a big impact now is because he was saying this, it wasn't going to impact, impact this quarter, it wasn't going to impact next quarter, but it might, you know, by the summer, you know, by the fall, it might be starting to kick in. But doesn't Apple have contracts with these people? It's not as if they can say, well, you know what, we don't like paying $650, for an iPhone, let's make it $550. 
there have contracts, long-term contracts. Well, yes, there's contracts. Um, there's also, I mean, his, his reasoning is basically on a kind of a long-term trend. Companies are going to be saying, hey, we're paying so much money, we're not making immediate profits when a new iPhone comes out. And, well, that is true, but there's a reason why things happen. There's a reason why every, carry, every major carrier that can carry the iPhone in the United States is now carrying it. And at substantial cost, it costs Verizon a lot of money to get the iPhone. It costs Sprint a lot of money to sign up for guaranteed sales of iPhones going forward. And that's showing up on their balance sheets with AT&T as well. The more, more phones that these people sell, the more it hits their profits in the short term. Over the long term, they make the money back. But when they first sell the iPhones, when they first sell a huge wave of iPhones, it impacts their profitability because they're prepaying for part of that. And, and something the- Tim Cook said is that if you look at this over the 24-month period that people are paying their monthly bills with a wireless carrier, this difference is not very significant. It's maybe the difference between one month's payment. Yeah, I mean, it's not only that. It's not only that they're going to obviously pay back at some point, which, I mean, the whole premise is kind of silly that, you know, that, that's how subsidies work. I mean, that's how subsidies work everywhere. But It's like everything else. You invest in something, and then you wait for the payback. It doesn't come tomorrow. It comes over time. Yeah, and if you look at what Verizon was doing in the year before they got the iPhone in 2010, they were heavily invested in Android. They came out with, you know, the Droid advertising at the beginning of 2010, that, that winter season. All throughout 2010, they were pushing Droid, 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 Droid. And by the end of the year, it became clear that Android was not doing for Verizon what the iPhone had done for AT&T over previous years. It was not pulling in customers. It was not encouraging large portions of its population to switch from you know, cheaper feature phones, simple phones, to smartphones that required a data contract. It did not have that pull. And even today, I mean, what, what Verizon has been really pushing over the last year has been LTE, its new 4G network, that you can't, it, it doesn't work with the iPhone yet. It works with the new iPad, but it doesn't work with the new iPhone 4S. However, Verizon continues to sell more iPhones than anything else, than all of its Android 4G phones combined. More than half of the phones reported by Verizon smartphone sales were to the iPhone. And let's look at also AT&T. They made a big stink over the fact that sales were down, what, 43% of smartphones in the March quarter for AT&T. But 78% of the smartphones sold by AT&T are iPhones, which means 22% are the droids, the Windows phone, etc., etc. 78%. And that, that percentage that's not the you know, 1 million out of 5 million kind of percentage, those are down as well. It's seasonally down. It's not Christmas anymore. So, yes, sales are down. It's really odd when people compare things that they either they're stupid or they really know what they're saying is fraudulent. Because if you say, oh, look at this, Apple sales on this particular thing are down from Christmas, of course they're down from Christmas. Everything is down from Christmas. Christmas is a merchandising holiday. If you take something that's obviously a seasonal seller, it's going to be down after the season's over. You think? If you want to make a, you know, if you look in and say Apple sales in the January quarter are down compared to last January, that would be, you know, useful information. But if that were to happen. Yeah, it hasn't happened. And okay, so they see that didn't work because what happens with Apple is 
they made up for that sales decline in the U.S. by selling lots of phones elsewhere. Now we look at the iPad. Complaints saying, well, we thought Apple would sell 13 or 14 million iPads. They sold 11,800,000, slightly below estimates. But then you look, you know what? Apple is selling every iPad they could build. So what kind of sales did you expect? Yeah, and if you look at everybody else in the industry, I mean, you know, who is not just scrambling to sell nothing? I mean, really. Even Samsung, which is doing pretty well in smartphones, is not selling lots of tablets. Microsoft's tablet stuff has failed repeatedly. You know, the HP thing completely failed last year. The closest thing you can come to it is that, you know, the Nook and the, what do you call it, Kindle Fire, that they're selling in, in some quantities. I mean, in, in, you know, is it a few million? But they're not making any money. They're not making any money on it. And so when you come out and you say, oh, well, Apple didn't sell enough iPads, it's like, what are you comparing it to? A number that somebody pulled out of the sky? You know, it's really nuts. I don't understand that. Because I don't see this happening in other industries. I don't see car companies being judged in the same way. And if you imagine if there was one car company that was making the cars that people wanted and everybody else was turning out just ridiculous junk, it would be hard to imagine the media covering it the way that they cover Apple. Well, Apple has to adhere to a higher standard like Hebrew national hot dogs. I think that's part of it. Well, it's not even that, though. It's, it's if you have one company. I mean, you remember back in the 90s when Microsoft was controlling pretty much the PC market. I mean, they had a pretty strong control over it. And there would occasionally be things that would come up and compete against them sort of weekly and, you know, fall down. Or OS2 and, you know, various different things that happened. And there was this sense of Microsoft is invincible and they're the great company that brings us wonderful things, even though, you know, I wasn't very impressed with Microsoft's products and how they worked. But at the same time, there wasn't this, like, crazy skepticism that Microsoft was going to just blow away the next year. There was never this like, oh, we have to look really close to find something that's wrong. It was just like, oh, look at Microsoft's doing well again. The perception here, Daniel, is that Apple's living on borrowed time, that the gravy train has to stop. At some point, they have to saturate a market. And that's what happened, of course, with the iPod, which, of course, morphed into other markets because the functionality was assumed by, for example, the iPhone and also in part the iPad. So by moving into new markets, yes, the older markets will flatten, but Apple has to know where the next great thing is. And if sales saturate as they have to inevitably with smartphones, well, there's another gadget that they'll embrace. Just like, for example, personal computers long ago saturated, Apple is doing better than the industry at a large, but obviously more and more people are going to iPads. Look at the percentage. There were almost three times as many iPads sold as Macs. Right, I mean, we see that happening. But there was never that skepticism in in PCs in general. In fact, when I was writing about it, you know, five or six years ago, talking about how the PC industry was becoming saturated in the United States and that Microsoft was facing a real difficulty in trying to replicate the same sort of tremendous growth mode that it experienced here in other countries, especially developing countries. I'll make it short because we have to break. They thought that Daniel Aaron Dilger was crazy. And guess what? He was right. Look at his articles of several years ago. And he was pretty much on the ball a lot more than he wasn't. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. (laughs) 
Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack! of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Gold isn't for you? Ted Anderson, president of Midas Resources, one of the world's premier gold and precious metal investing firms. I get it. You wouldn't buy gold if you believed that the government is doing a great job, that the Fed will stop handing out trillions of dollars like bailout candy, that Social Security would be there for you. That's not what's happening. You might even pass on gold if the stimulus package wouldn't fuel inflation, or that the dollar wouldn't lose value, or that your retirement would be secure. If all looks rosy to you, then now is not the time to buy gold. For the realists, there have never been more sobering reasons to diversify with gold. Since 2001, the U.S. dollar index has tanked 30%, while gold has risen 300%. Right now, savvy investors are adding gold to their portfolios. You should, too. Find out what they know. Call us, and I'll send you 10 reasons why gold will do very well, free. 800-686-2237. 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Introducing a Diabetes Breakthrough, an easy, natural, organic way to bring relief to diabetics. Introducing MDS Forte, a concentrated super strength extract formulated for those who are looking for relief. What can MDS Forte do for you? MDS Forte reduces glucose levels safely and effectively, reduces cholesterol and triglyceride levels, increases HDL or good cholesterol while reducing LDL or bad cholesterol. MDS Forte reduces A1C, improves eyesight and circulation to the limbs, and helps with weight loss. Is non-toxic, caffeine-free, 100% natural, 100% organic, and comes with a 100% money back guarantee waiting for the side effects disclaimers with mds forte there are none order a 25-day treatment of mds forte by calling 213-405-5355 213-405-5355 or visit bestbloodsupport.com that's bestbloodsupport.com for mds forte a diabetes breakthrough 37 things to hoard. Do you have the 37 crucial food items you can't survive without? When the next disaster hits and the mobs go crazy grabbing food off the shelves, you and your family may be without food or waiting in long food lines. Prepare now at 123survivalplan.com. Easy as 123 to remember. 123survivalplan.com. Many people don't have these 37 food items. Learn what you need to hoard now at 123survivalplan.com. Watch the video we've set up for Patriots only at 123 
Plan.com. Get inside information on the 37 food items that will sell out first when the next disaster strikes. This video contains crucial information you and your family need to prepare for any natural or man-made disaster. In the last six months, over one million other smart patriots have already seen this video. Prepare now. Go to 123survivalplan.com and learn which 37 food items you should hoard. Easy to remember, 123survivalplan.com. Again, that's 123survivalplan.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. We have Daniel Aaron Dilgrove, Roughly Drafted Magazine, and Apple Insider. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. We are exploring how Apple did and about the skepticism, the ongoing skepticism that Apple can keep it up. And, for example, there was this comment that Tim Cook makes when asked at the analyst meeting about Windows 8, the integration, the same operating system fundamentally for desktop and mobile, and Tim Cook likened it to a refrigerator and a toaster, and then somebody from a newspaper on the West Coast said, well, Apple integrated the iPhone with different components and add features. Yeah, but they were related. Do you consider a toaster and a refrigerator related? Except they're in the kitchen, of course. Well, the, yeah, the problem is that the, what makes one product good will make the other product bad. A, a good refrigerator is something that holds enough of what you want. A good toaster is something that's reasonably sized. So if you mix them together, you end up with something that's not a reasonably sized toaster or, you know, you make it smaller to the point where it doesn't fit enough of your food you want to keep cold. So, I mean, those are two good examples of a product that are not likely to converge in a way that's useful for anybody. But what he was talking about, he was saying, well, the iPhone was a convergence product because it, you know, put all these features in it. What does that have to do with the price of tea in China? I mean, the only people that were arguing against the iPhone being valuable because it packed, you know, a variety of different features into a single product where people, um, including who was the author of that article, he admitted that he thought that that was a bad idea. I mean, how do people come up with this stuff? I mean, are these people just being paid to fill square inches with text? This is just the stupidest stuff I've read in a long time. It's just crazy how much stupid stuff is coming out about Apple. But I mean, the, the point of his article was that, you know, Apple should really rethink this convergence thing because this is maybe a good idea but if you look at it what makes the ipad good are things that differentiate it from a computer and one of the things that tim cook made really clear in the context of what he was saying was that the audience is different the people who can use an ipad now in part that that involves consumers like my mom can use an ipad she doesn't need to have 24-hour hand-holding explaining how to do crazy like pc things that don't really make sense she just touches stuff, and it goes to what she wants to do, and it makes sense. I mean, that's kind of the genius of the iPad, is that it's really simple. And if you're a business person, even if you're a sophisticated business person, knows how to work Excel and whatever, and you're doing something in the field, or you're trying to show somebody a presentation or something, you don't have to know all this stuff and like, try to figure out the office commands to do this and that. It just works. It's just really simple. And it's designed to do what it does really well and, and simple in this kind of streamlined way that works for a long time without a charge, and is really easy to manage. That's completely different from what makes a, a conventional notebook good. If you look at a MacBook Air, what the things that make a MacBook Air nice are the fact that you have 
access to peripherals and you have a full keyboard and you have a windowing environment where you can do kind of sophisticated things, which is the total opposite of the iPad. And Microsoft wants to get rid of the concept of the windowing environment in Windows 8 as far as I can see. But they're not getting rid of it. That's the problem is that they're saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take basically Windows 7. We're going to do a service pack. But then on top of that, we're going to layer this Metro interface from the Zune on top of it and call that our iPad interface. And so you can make iPad stuff with that with this Zune interface on it that's touch. Or you can have Windows. Or you can have computers to do both. And, and it's just like, why would that ever be a good idea? Why would you ever want to touch the screen of a notebook computer? We have 10 years of what... What do they call them? Uh, transforming transformer computers, or you know, it was this hybrid thing where you turn the screen around and flip it down, and you have a tablet. And it's like, but the tablet is fat, kind of a convertible computer. Heavy. Yeah, convertible. And it's like nobody ever bought this stuff because it was more fragile. It's not as fast as if you just buy a straight notebook. It's going to be faster than if you buy this kind of nuts ball, you know, quasi tablet thing. That's not a good tablet. It's not a good PC. It's just a bad combination of things. And that's the point of what. What Cook was saying was like if you take two products and you force them to, into convergence just because it seems like a good idea, it's like the TV and the computer. We need to converge it. Well, the only way you can converge it is to make a smarter TV that has other issues. It has complexity of being a computer, and you have to do all the setup and stuff like that. And you have limited mobility in a computing environment, and you have you know it's hard to use a mouse with a TV and you're too far away from the screen to be able to see things accurately. And there's just a lot of reasons why a dedicated computer and a dedicated TV are the reason why the economy has resulted in the products that we have today and has not converged is because they make more sense that way. And people are not trying to buy something that's in the middle. There are other products that have converged more. There's, you know, like that you're saying about the iPod, it makes a lot of sense if you're already carrying around an iPhone that you already have the features in it to play music. So it doesn't make sense because in many ways they are the same product with additional stuff tacked onto it. They're both basic mobile computers. Yeah, and therefore, it can do a lot of things that work very well in a mobile environment. But, you know, you're not going to put everything that's on a desktop computer there because suddenly it gets ungainly. I mean, we know people will buy keyboards for their iPads. And I understand that. For occasional work, it's good. But if you were to set up an iPad with a keyboard full-time, you might as well buy a notebook computer. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to imagine what, how people come up with their... <laughs> Sometimes it, it seems like they're really reaching. And the way they write it up, it's, it's like they'll take like the most ridiculous idea and they'll write it up in a way that's really straight-faced, like they're really serious about it. And then you'll see it just getting all over, you know, message boards and whatever. People will be talking about this article as, as if it's a straight face. And you're just like, really? Really? Did you read that? And were you convinced? <laughs> It's, it's just shocking sometimes. They do some crazy things in trying to find that convergence. But certainly they're trying to find areas where Apple's gravy train has to end. Like, for example, who was it was saying that Apple would have less than 50% of the tablet market in a year or two because of the Windows 8 tablets? But I'm still trying to understand what are the Windows 8 tablets going to offer just because they are Windows and they're going to have this feature-limited version of the Office apps, but none of the other apps are going to work on the mobile version of Windows 8 on a tablet. They'll have to be redone. Yeah, they just I see they just got the uh, Office apps out for Symbian. <laughs> Remember they promised that two years ago. It's like, that's okay when you're not looking where the puck is going. 
<laughs> when you're just like, and sure enough, it, they got Office out for Symbian <laughs> after Symbian was thrown in the trash. Oh, Microsoft is kind of funny. Well, let's take a look, for example, at the predictions about Windows Phone. We have Nokia. Their sales are tanking. So far, the Lumia series hasn't taken off. And in the week or two before the Lumia 900 was released, some people already put up reviews of them. You know, they got advanced copies, I guess, from Microsoft and Nokia. And they wrote reviews. A public relations agency sent a blogger to me offering to review Lumia 900. Right. And I talked to the person, and I looked at the promotional literature this PR agency had. They claimed not to work for Microsoft or Nokia. So I don't know what happens. Maybe they work for one of their PR agencies. And they're saying, this is how it compares with an iPhone 4. And I said, yeah, but the current model is the iPhone 4S. Why compare it with a two-year-old device? We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Don't answer it. If fear strikes your heart when the phone rings, knowing it may be another bill collector, it's time for you to call Zero Debt in 90 Days. 800-477-9256. Settlements, bankruptcy, and attorneys are not the answer and may end up costing you up to 10 times more than necessary. Listen, if you're already in debt, does it make sense to get buried in another payment plan? Zero Debt in 90 Days gets you out of debt in 90 days guaranteed without a payment plan and without attorneys or going to court. Get the fastest relief from debt on the planet when you call 800-477-9256. If you have debt with the IRS, credit card, student loans, or foreclosure, we can help at Zero Debt in 90 Days. And we're the only organization to provide written guarantees on the results. Go to ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. That's ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. Or call now for free information. 800-477-9256. That's 800-477-9256. 
Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget, CrossbreedHolsters.com. That's CrossbreedHolsters.com. In a coming-apart world, you need something to keep it tied together. That something is Atwood Rope, the highest quality rope made in the USA from exotic braids for military, rescue, arborists, shipyards, tow line, or boating. Quality rope at affordable prices you and your customers can depend on. Find a dealer or shop online at atwoodrope.net. Enter promo code RADIO to receive 100 feet of 550 paracord free with purchase. Atwood Rope, working to keep the world tied together. If you're not prepared, get preparedexpo.com, the biggest and best preparedness expo in the USA. Coming April 28th and 29th, get preparedexpo.com. Over 125 seminars and exhibits, over $200,000 in exhibitor giveaways, 1,000 packets of heirloom seeds, 1,000 one year subscriptions to Global Incident Map, 1,000 trial issues of Bob Chapman's International Forecaster, 25 vials of Dr. Sheely's Bliss, 10 Sigma 3 five day survival courses, autograph books by James Wesley Rawls, Matt Stein, Julia Shopping, and Dr. Sheely. And plenty more. Saturday and Sunday, April 28th and 29th. Go to GetPreparedExpo.com. One day passes $10 at the door. Advanced weekend passes $15. At GetPreparedExpo.com. GetPreparedExpo.com. Don't miss GetPreparedExpo.com. Saturday and Sunday, April 28th and 29th. Ozark Empire Fairgrounds, Springfield, Missouri. The biggest and best preparedness expo in the USA. If you're not prepared, GetPreparedExpo.com. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Isle live. And what I'm talking about here is a guest we had a couple of weeks back, John Rettinger from Tech Buffalo. Never heard of him before. And he said, look, I've been an Apple user, but I really like this Lumia 900. And then I looked him up online, and back in December, there's a story where he was using yet another Windows Phone product, and at that point, he gave up his Apple iPhone. So what do we have here? Yeah, I mean, they're really they're in a tight position because they're coming into the market five years after Apple changed it. That's a bit late. You know, with the Zune, they kind of did the same thing. It was, you know, it was kind of five years after the iPod came out. But when the iPod came out, it took a while for it to gain some traction. So Apple was at the kind of the top of its game when, you know, they're trying to do the Zune thing. But they're in kind of a very different position now because they had a smartphone. And it was destroyed by the iPhone when it was mobile. And the customers that they had in, you know, corporate customers and people who were very familiar with Windows and Windows development and things like that, they held on to Windows Mobile for a couple years, hoping that Microsoft would be able to get its stuff together. And Microsoft just kept failing. And they kept trying to clone more of what Apple was doing in terms of the App Store and things like that. And they just failed. Failed, failed, failed miserably. And they ended up with a product that, was, even after a couple years of investing in it, was just garbage compared to the iPhone. And even, you know, Android. 
And so they come out with this Windows Phone 7 and how it's all new and has a new interface and blah, blah, and it has some improvements on it. But it's not state-of-the-art. It's trying to compete, like you're saying, against you know 2010 when they first started thinking about it. The phones that were out then. And the market has been changing and has been rapidly adapting. And Apple has added new stuff. And you know they're really heavily promoting Siri and iCloud and all these things that Microsoft doesn't have together. They have some basic voice recognition. They have some you know basic cloud storage. But they don't have a really anything comparable to iCloud. They don't have anything comparable to iTunes or anything like that. And when you look at their position, they're in a very difficult position. And over the last year, Windows Phone 7 has gone nowhere with a number of licensees. And then they finally said, you know, they've been working with Nokia all this time trying to get out a phone with Nokia because Nokia was the leader. Nokia is not the leader anymore. Nokia is junk stock status now. And it's really difficult to, at this point, rapidly turn anything around. So now, it's interesting here. Okay, supposedly AT&T is going to be spending $150 million to push the Lumia 900. There was a report in, I guess, the first weekend saying, gee, we ran out of stock. But they didn't tell how many they sold. And on the opening weekend, we had in the United States Easter Sunday where many of the stores were closed. So how many could they have possibly sold? You know, maybe they had 100,000 phones and they sold them? Is that a lot? They don't give you the numbers, by the way. Yeah, it's hard to... It's kind of interesting that, you know, they made this whole thing about how AT&T was going to blow it out bigger than the iPhone, and now they're talking about how Verizon is going to do this tight partnership with Windows Phone. Microsoft is very good at setting up kind of PR partnerships, but Microsoft is not very good at actually making partnerships. Well, the thing that bothered me is not that the guest that we had on the show was bad he's quite knowledgeable about different tech subjects but that he was sold to me as a reviewer of this product and i was curious and that's why i brought him on i kind of gave him a dust up and showed a few areas where he had to admit that product had shortcomings and the argument i gave to him is okay maybe the lumia 900 is not a bad phone for a hundred dollar subsidized price but it's also inferior to the iphone of two or three years ago it still doesn't have multitasking. I said, how does it multitask? Well, when you go from one app to another, it suspends the apps. I said, well, Apple did that three, four years ago. Where is multitasking? Yeah, people don't give much thought to how much effort is put into something. And I'm always reminded about Office. Remember when Office came out and, you know, at the beginning of the 90s when Office was first kind of gelling as a product, it had a lot of interest around it. People started using Office as opposed to anything else. And they started dropping the things that they were using and started kind of converging on Office. And by the end of the 90s, it was like there was really no, no competitors to Office. And now there's some things you can kind of use instead of Office. But Office has been kind of like this gold standard for business people for a long time. It's really hard to compete against because it's not one product. It's like a whole bunch of things that have been tacked together. And they're all, I mean, a lot of them are quite good. There's some, you know, things that are tacked on the side that aren't very good. But it's difficult to compete with it all at once. Same thing with Outlook. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. So when you look Except at what, the Mac version of Outlook. Oh, it's awful. I'm not it is to, awful. I can't use it. I have run several stories about Outlook 2011 for the Mac. And there was a recent update, the SP2 update, where it screws up the database. Such as it is, they have an identity database. The messages are now in separate files. Yeah. But the... Identity database doesn't work right, and you have to go through these elaborate workarounds to fix it. Microsoft has pulled the update. But the big problem is Microsoft touts Outlook 2011 as one being you know, very much compatible with the Windows version, which is good for offices. 
offering you know the full version or almost the full version of Exchange server features you need with the Exchange email system more than Apple offers with Apple Mail, built from the ground up in Cocoa, but still has the same horrible email engine as Entourage, its predecessor, it slows down to a crawl. And the, and the problem is, the reason why the Mac stuff isn't very good is because it's a different product. It's kind of like associated with the Windows product, but, but the idea is the reason why Office on, you know, on Windows got good and got something that a lot of people used, I mean, kind of everybody uses it, is because it was constantly refined. And it's really difficult to catch up and beat the leader when there's that much resources going into keeping something good or keeping something popular. And that's where Apple is with originally with the iPod and then with the iPhone and now with the iPad. But understand, it's also a matter of efficiencies. Microsoft spends billions of dollars to build an app. They've got, what, 200 people working for the Mac business unit. 200 people. And they can't get one office suite right, one application suite Apple has, what, a 1,000 programmers doing everything? Operating systems, the whole ball of wax? Well, my point is that it's very difficult to compete with something once it's reached a certain level of sophistication. And that's what, that's what Android licenses, and that's what Windows Phone 7, and that's what you know, other things like Palm are finding really difficult, is that when Apple came into the market with the original iPhone, it had some pretty significant disadvantages compared to the top smartphones are out there. You know, it didn't do 3G, it didn't even have GPS, it didn't have a camera, stuff that other phones were pretty good at. Fast forward five years later, and Apple's just spending billions of dollars investing in making the iPhone better and better and better, and it now has one of the best cameras you can get compared to everybody. I mean, Samsung used to be noted for having better cameras than other people. Now they're, you know, on, in the same boat as the iPhone, if not, you know, not as good. Um, same thing with everything else. I mean, Apple's coming up with their buying companies to add new features onto it. It's becoming like an office in that they have a very sophisticated product with all these different features on it that you can't just roll out a new strategy like Windows Phone 7 and say, hey, we're going to compete with it, and here's our you know, 1.0 effort to compete with it. That's not going to work. If and Microsoft want- gives you the same excuse they gave you back in the days where Windows was on the ascendancy, which is, all right, yeah, we don't have the feature now, but we'll have it in a year or two. Yeah, but all those platforms are leapfrogging. Worse, isn't there a report now that you have the new version of Windows Phone 7.5? The next version is 8.0, but existing handsets cannot be upgraded? Is that correct? That's what I've heard. That's not going to work oh. out. You know, imagine this. Apple introduces iOS 6, as we expect they'll do this spring at the WWDC in June. We expect that the previous couple of iPhones will support that plus the next iPhone. That's normal. Everybody can get the upgrade. Now, imagine you buy a Lumia 900 today, two-year contract, the latest and greatest Windows phone. They're spending a bundle with PR and advertising. The worst advertising I've ever seen makes no sense, by the way, to promote the Lumia 900. So now, Microsoft introduces the latest and greatest Windows phone. You can't upgrade your brand new Lumia 900 to it? How's that going to work? We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. (laughs) 
America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. So you're a maker of something. Woodcrafts, fishing lures, glass designs, jewelry, purses, perfumes, goat's milk soap. Whatever it is, you made it here in America. Now you're eager for people to buy your products right here locally. Instead of buying competing products made on the other side of the world, right? Then you need to check out localmakers.com. Support America. Buy and sell locally at localmakers.com doesn't matter if you're a home-based business or a major manufacturer. Localmakers.com offers an easy way to connect with customers within your local community, as well as across the U.S., simply by entering a zip code. And there's no cost to join. So if you're a maker who needs buyers, go to localmakers.com and stock your products on one of our shelves. Localmakers.com, promoting, preserving, and supporting your neighbor's manufacturing businesses. Four, five, six, even seven dollars a gallon? According to fuel industry insiders and economic experts, those are the forecasted fuel prices with no end in sight. Fight back fuel prices with a fuel saver from airfusionsystems.com. These fuel savers can save you from 20 to 40%. They're designed to fit any vehicle from compacts to SUVs to transport trucks. The fuel saver works on all gas, diesel, even propane engines. Easy do-it-yourself installation in about 15 minutes. And the best part? No engine modifications, no computer chipping, no running wires, no chemicals, no water, no running costs, and no maintenance. And these fuel savers come complete with all parts and accessories. See how it works at airfusionsystems.com, spelled A-I-R-F-U-S-I-O-N, systems.com. Or call 888-887-9981, 888-887-9981. Fuel savers from airfusionsystems.com. Save fuel, save money, save earth. You may snicker when you hear this message, but you won't laugh after you experience the best-kept health secret ever, camel milk. Camel milk is loaded with health benefits far superior to other milk. Camel milk has antibacterial, antiviral, and anti-tumor properties, is rich in B vitamins, and camel milk is three times higher in vitamin C than cow's milk and ten times higher in iron. And camel milk contains 52 units of insulin-like proteins per liter, effectively lowering blood sugar levels. Many of our members testified that drinking camel milk reversed diabetes and greatly improved autism. Camel milk is easily digested by those who are lactose and beta casein intolerant and comes fresh or frozen from your trusted local family farm shipped on dry ice to preserve freshness. 
Go to CamelMilkForSale.com now and look under Products and Pricing for the Spring Special with free bonus pints. That's CamelMilkForSale.com, CamelMilkForSale.com. What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. And the point I was raising before we took the break is, as you've heard, Microsoft has this new version of Windows Phone coming out. Existing handsets can't be updated. Where's that put them? Or AT&T, for example, spending all this money to push the Lumia 900 with lesser or greater levels of success. Will customers come back to them and say, I want this new version of Windows Phone. Why can't I get it? What's going to happen? That's going to put them in the same position as all the Android licensees that can't get an update to their system. Either. Yeah, you think? And that's that's one of the things. You know, like I was saying, you know, Apple came out five years ago with a phone that had the reason they became popular is you know, a Apple had previous business. You know, they had previous customers that they'd impressed with the iPod and stuff. But also, they came out with stuff that was very unique for a phone. It didn't do everything everybody else's phone did, but what it did do was really cool. Things like maps and, you know, a full browser and things like that were really cool. And they were very distinctive. If you look at Windows Phone 7, apart from having this, you know, tile interface, there's nothing appealing about that. And there's nothing appealing about the rest of the phone. It's just something different. And that's how they're advertising. It's like, hey, look, look it's different. It's fresh and new. Well, well Microsoft Concept, supposedly this is like endless paper. It's a flat system where you have endless paper that moves off the screen. But I understand another problem is if you are like a lot of people who have iPhones and iPads, you have dozens and dozens of apps, the convenience of displaying those apps is all screwed up because of this endless paper feature. It also kind of kills third-party development. I mean, it puts a barrier because on the iPhone, every app that you get is branded by the developer. So they can make this cool little icon that reminds you of what it's like to do you know, Instagram or whatever app you want to use. And every time you touch it, it's like this mental memory of what this thing does. On Windows Phone 7, it's just a colored tile. And you can have it changing stuff. You can have put information in it. But it's like a widget. There's no, like, branding, like, emotional connection of what this means. It's just constantly different stuff on it. It's also confusing because the distinctive widget is not there. It's all rectangles of different colors. You don't have the great 3D-style artwork as you do with the iOS and even with Android, what you have is a rectangle with stick figure artwork from the 1980s with hard-to-read lettering. And it's okay, I guess, if you have four or five basic apps and that's all you ever use. I guess it works okay. But as soon as you try to expand your reach using lots and lots of apps, it gets confusing. And putting it on Windows, I just don't see it. I'm trying to make it work, and I can't. Yeah, it's kind of like they don't really know what to do, and they're like, well, we have this thing we spent a lot of money creating that everyone ignored for the Zoom, and they you know, have ignored for the last year and a half on Windows Phone 7. What do we do with it? Let's slap it on top of Windows, you know? This is our look. And it's like, if it's never worked for you, it's not a good look, because it's never worked. And you're saying how it's like this endless idea of paper. The iPhone, what, what makes it usable, I mean, one of the things that strikes me is that it works like a real thing. So when you're scrolling, it's very natural. When you scroll to the bottom of something, it kind of bounces the way it would if there was actually a, a little physical disc in there that you were manipulating. 
it works like something that makes sense to you. Works like the world around us. When things just kind of go off the side and it's just like infinite, it's sort of a optical illusion of how it could possibly work. It doesn't make as much sense in our brain. Well, it's not duplicating my desktop because if I put sheets of paper across the desk, there's a beginning and an end to those pieces of paper. It's not something that just runs off the edge and disappears. Yeah, I mean, the more abstract your user interface is, the harder it is for people who are not full-time computer people to get. And that's why when Apple developed stuff, they had a big, they had a big thing in the, in the human interface guidelines about doing things that make sense doing things that work like the real world, because people already know how the real world works. So if you make something that's a, it's a desktop, and you have an icon, you drag it over to this, and then it goes inside the thing you put it in, well, that works like things in the real world. Alternate ideas of how to do the desktop have been proposed repeatedly, and they would have these kind of complex notions that would sort of make sense if you were like a computer science expert, but they don't make sense to people who are used to manipulating ideas in the real world, things, tangible ideas. And that's why Apple has had a lot of success with its Mac desktop that people have copied. And when they came with the, you know, the iPad or the, the, even the original iPods, they were designed to be really simple and easy to use. And the iPhone is the same way. It's designed to be simple and easy to use and makes sense. You don't have to like, read a book to understand the theory behind it. It just makes sense how it works. And I give an example of that here. My wife, just like your mother, probably the same example, and my wife being probably a lot younger than your mother, but here's the point. My wife never took to a personal computer. You know, she could check email and, you know, check a website, but wasn't interested. I handed her the iPad 2. Within a couple of days, she would not let me touch it. We have the iPad 3 here. We got a review sample of the iPad 3, the third generation model, the new iPad. It's the same thing. You know, she understands the difference. Text is sharper. She's had eye surgery, so she's sensitive to that. She won't give it up. She's learned to write email on that. Never wrote email before, really. You know, communicates with our son who lives in Spain. She does the email. She's working out online ordering. She keeps track of all sorts of things and runs apps. Never would have done that, but she didn't have a book. She's the kind of person you have to show her what to do. And let me tell you, I had to show her very, very little with the iPad. And that's, that's what Apple's targeting, is making something that works for a lot of people. And that's kind of a, a philosophy that runs through a lot of their, pro- their products. And I have to think here, too. If my wife took a Lumia 900 or other Windows phone device and she looked at it, she'd say, what's this? And she'd give it back to me. I think I know her after all these years of marriage. That's what she'd say. So you wonder here, what is Microsoft thinking? I thought they'd do focus groups. Wouldn't a focus group show them, hey, wait, people can't grok this interface. Why do you do it? I mean, Microsoft is not just one unified company. There's a lot of arms of Microsoft that are kind of operating on their own. And this Windows Phone 7 Zoom thing is very much the product of one of these we're going to create a new group and we're going to let them have this freedom to think about things on their own and, you know, do something that's not like the rest of Microsoft. But um, even just in, you know, kind of in general terms, Microsoft has always been quite good at forming partnerships with companies to get them to develop software for Windows. Those are not the kind of people, Windows developers, are not the kind of people that you want developing products for the future, because they are a reflection of Microsoft's kind of second-rate clone of the Macintosh from the 90s. There's nothing 
in Microsoft that I have seen that really blows me away in terms of uh, we're thinking about how things could be better. It's all how can we keep going with stuff that we've been doing in the past? And they come up with you know new technologies and things. And, and my, in some ways, Microsoft is substantially ahead of Apple in in uh, particularly in like server operating system stuff because that's where they're putting their money. They're developing some you know, useful technologies. But when it comes to developing tools that people can use very broadly, very broad, um, not only devices, but also kind of software systems for running things that are easy to use. Microsoft is, that's never been Microsoft's forte. Microsoft is always very good at like compelling people to do what it wants them to do, but it's not very good at, at giving people something that they're impressed by. Unless they're, you know, PC people and they're impressed by Windows or they're, you know, excited about Windows Phone because it's fresh and different. You know, those kind of people are not representative of the population. Microsoft is good at impressing shills. They're not very good at, at impressing the consumer market. And that's why, you know, Microsoft's doing quite well still in Windows and Server and Office. But their consumer products have just never been good. I noticed also in the last quarterly financials, they seem to do okay with their traditional server products, OS, Office, but not so well when it came to the Xbox. The Xbox is kind of old. Yeah, when it came out, like, 05, 360. So, I mean, yeah. it's like, Yeah, 4,000 years ago, yeah. Seven-year-old product. I mean, they, they, they came up with the new, I mean, they bought this Israeli company and developed the motion controller. That, you know, it was kind of a good idea and was probably better than the, the um, what Nintendo had pioneered with the Wii and what Sony was trying to kind of also work on with its motion controller. Um, but it, they seem to get an awful lot of credit for, you know, coming out with this peripheral that or how much are we going to like want to dance in front of the computer? I mean, how long does that stay exciting? And they're talking about how they're going to bring it to Windows. And I'm like, are you kidding? You're, you're going to bring, you know, Dance Dance Revolution to the computer as a, a human interface? The, I just do not understand how people are so impressed with everything Microsoft does when it's not that impressive. We're always impressed when we have Daniel Aaron Dilger on the show. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the 
the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Daniel Arundelger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com for another segment. We were exploring Apple's financials, some of the skepticism about, you know, is the gravy train going to end constantly, every day, waiting for that gravy train to end. Then we look at Windows 8, about the fact that we have this user interface that's different. And here's another concern I have about that is you take people in the business world and you buy... Microsoft products because you want consistency. You know, everybody's trained how to use them. They run Office, whatever. So suddenly one year Microsoft says, well, you don't need the menu bar anymore. Use the ribbon. This is our new invention. No, the ribbon is not a new invention. It is a context-sensitive toolbar. Apps have had that for years. We rename it a ribbon. It's something new. Got to train people to use the ribbon. But do you know why they did the ribbon? Other than looking different? There was a strategy behind it. It was... Office was so stagnant that they were just getting threatened with being completely copied by OpenOffice and some of the other products. You basically just duplicate it. So Google can come in and create a web version of Office, just completely rip off the whole way it works, and there's no value left in Office. So they were trying to create this like new complexity that would be difficult. It was, it's kind of like you know when a drug goes off patent protection and they're like, oh, here's a new version of the drug. It's just the same drug, but it's just metabolized differently. So Another like, thing they do is they offer the drug with a different dosage. Yeah. So, for example, you take 40 milligrams. We'll give you 45 milligrams because it's a little bit more effective, but we can patent that. Yeah, so it's kind of an example of just like how do we, how do we keep protecting this thing that we, we sell without making a substantial improvement to it? We're just going to like poke it in the eye and change it a little bit. So that's the idea of the ribbon. I don't think Microsoft was really trying to like reinvent the world. I think they were just trying to say – they were just trying to like take their – branding train in a direction that other people couldn't follow without getting sued or wouldn't care to follow because it makes no sense yeah that's why i think about the ribbon they're trying to bring it to the mac but the mac at least you have the traditional menu bar but now some of the apps are more complicated like for example book authors magazine writers use a feature in word called track changes so what microsoft has done with the new versions of office and word is to stick some of those functions where it shows the changes different people in the project have made, your editors, etc. They show some of the options in the menu bar, others in the ribbon. So you have to go back and forth. It makes no sense. Yeah, it's a bit of a mess. And that's the problem. When you, when you unleash a change like that, you may be able to thwart your competitors, but you may also confuse your customers. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen with, with this Metro stuff they're putting on Windows 8. And particularly the fact that Microsoft's made it pretty clear that Windows 8 for corporations, I mean, the stuff that they want to get on corporate desktops, is not going to have that Metro stuff on it. They're not going to put up with that. 
So who does it benefit? It's like this, it's very much like a layer of Microsoft Bob, which was just like this, how do we make this simple and stupid for consumers in a way that business people are going to ignore, not have to deal with, but we're going to put it on top. And that has never worked out well. Windows 8 just looks like such a train wreck. Well, no start menu, although you have the word start in the preview versions. You have the word start on it. It doesn't work, but you have the Metro interface overlay. Explain that to me. I'm not really sure where we're going here. Yeah, it's kind of a mess. And the, the thing is, when you have a product that, that's selling, you can't make tremendous changes to it. If you are the market leader, you, are, you have to be somewhat conservative about the changes you make to the products. or pe- Your customers are going to say, hey, why is this changing? You know, it's like the new Coke thing. You can't just like say, we're, you know, we're like Pepsi. We're going to make our product sweeter because existing customers are going to say, no, we don't want it sweeter. We like it the way it is. So that's the problem that Microsoft finds itself in is Apple which has been an underdog. I mean, it's starting to get to the point where Apple can't make, you know, slapdash changes to things and freak people out because people are like, oh, we liked it the old way better. But there was a time when Apple could, you know. In the year 2000, they come up with Mac OS X and it has this crazy bubbly, you know, aqua user interface. And people are like, whoa, this is new and different. And Apple could do that because it needed to bring attention to itself. It's like, you know, clothes for teenagers. You know, they can be kind of crazy. But... If you're making clothes for people who are, you know, business people in their 30s and 40s, you can't come out with nutty-looking H&M stuff because people are going to say, oh, I kind of like conservative stuff that makes me look classy, not I don't want to bring attention to myself in this kind of quirky way that teenagers do. And that's the kind of problem that Microsoft is in. It is on top of the, or it has ruled on top of the fashion market for a long time, making dowdy clothes for business people, and all of a sudden it's going to try to make these, like, crazy H&M stuff with, you know, a fur collar, and, you know, business people are going to say, what is this Microsoft Windows 8 crap? Why is this on here? And how do we get it off? Which is kind of the same thing with Vista. So, yeah, Microsoft is just really, really making a series of bad decisions, I think. So your prediction is that as far as the business market is concerned, Windows 8 will go nowhere? Well, Windows 8 for business users is not going to be what, what they're showing off now. It's going to be Windows 7. It's going to be a conventional desktop, I think. I mean, that's what they've talked about. They're not going to be pushing this Metro stuff in, in, in corporate circles. What Metro is trying to do is trying to address the group of people that are looking at the iPad and say, oh, look, we have an iPad. It's, it even runs Windows. You know, it doesn't actually run Windows apps, but it has this new user interface that everyone loves with Windows Phone 7 and the Zoom. And it's such a mess. All, all three people love that interface. <laughs> yeah. It's a, all three reviewers, you know. They like well, it it's fresh and new. It's like they're reading off bullet points. Well, I also see here that you're really going to hear things hitting the wall when the Windows Phone 8 comes out and the people who bought the handsets can't get the upgrade. Now, what's happening, by the way, over in Android land, and this may be the final discussion of this week's episode with you, Daniel. We have this lawsuit where Oracle is suing Google because Google is supposedly using the Java elements in Android without a license. And there's a trial now. What's going to happen there? Well, it's hard to say because this intersection of the law (laughs) and patents is so irrational. There's a lot of cases where people have had something that, you know, to to a reasonable observer, it's like, why is this person totally ripping off this other stuff? That's too much, you know. And in other cases, you have things where someone pulls out a patent. Remember, RIM was hit by this patent, um, almost shut down their whole system, and the government had to get involved because the government was using so many 
BlackBerry devices. But whether a patent works or not is just completely like kind of luck of the draw. It really has you – know, our justice system is, is really like hit and miss on this. And in some cases, patents have tremendous value. A patent can shut down a company. And that's what everyone's trying to do against Apple and what Apple's trying to do against Android and all these different companies are swirling around these, these patents as weapons of mass destruction. But most of them are failing. If you look at these patents, everyone's involved in patents. And you know, Motorola is suing Microsoft and back and forth and suing Apple and back and forth. And Nokia is involved and you know, all these companies that are buying patents for billions of dollars because there's just, you just don't know what's going to happen. And if you don't do it, then someone else is going to buy it and, you know, bring litigation on you that's very expensive and it's difficult. And the patent system is a real mess. I mean, I think everybody agrees that. How you solve it is more of a question. It's more of a controversy. So to say, how is this going to work out? Well, right now, it almost doesn't matter how it works out because Android is not the juggernaut that everyone who believes in Android has been preaching for the last two years. Android is facing very serious problems that I outlined three or four years ago and that the people who really believe in Android are finally starting to admit. And you're now starting to see some effort. I mean, when both Verizon and AT&T are talking about how they're going to push Windows Phone 7, given that Windows Phone 7 has failed for a year and a half miserably, for them to say, yeah, we're really going to like jump on this train, this looks like a good alternative to Android, that tells you something about the level of quality in Android and what it's doing for their business. If they're ready to jump on this complete mess of a train wreck, perhaps Android hasn't been doing as much you know, for Verizon and AT&T as its backers have been trying to suggest. They're only too quick to jump off the train before it derails. Daniel Aaron Dilger, tell our listeners where they can find more of the stuff that you write about. I write for Apple Insider, appleinsider.com, and my personal blog is roughlydrafted.com. And he's been promising me, and I'm going to insist that he make good on it, he's going to start updating Roughly Drafted in the very near future. Right, Daniel? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Say yes, sir. I'm kidding. Yes, I will. <laughs> Daniel Aaron Delger, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Tech Night Out Live. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gene. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years in serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at GoBerkey.com. That's GoBerkey.com today. How's your pH today? Are you acidic? How alkaline is your blood and body? What is the pH of the water you drink? We are AlkaVision, and we have the answers. Drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining vibrant health and high energy because bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline, high-pH environment. If your drinking water isn't at a pH level of 8 or higher, boost it with AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Our unique formula will alkalize your water, ridding your body of harmful toxins and acid, and help regain energy and health. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise the pH of your body to optimal levels. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. Spelled A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 800-518-7615. 800-518-7615. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. Welcome back to Get Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, it's Uncle Gene. Yeah, it's him. We have Ross Rubin of the NPD Group joining us. And what we have to mention here, of course, is that NPD has many parts. And Ross is (laughs) one of those parts. But you're not cogging the wheel, are you? No, I I don't like think so and <laughs> but, I, I don't i'm certainly not treated that way so <laughs> we don't want to ask about that any further but seriously speaking there's a report that npd had done a survey that over 25 percent of ipad buyers are new to apple now obviously this is not in your department but maybe a general observation is in order so it's kind of like we've seen with the iphone and the ipod before it that products like this bring customers to apple who never would consider their products before uh, absolutely you know uh i think we've really uh since since the first uh, imac uh in in the late 90s 
and particularly since the um, uh, the iPod, we've seen Apple begin this cycle of of trying to reach out to new customers. Uh, and with the iPad, in some ways, it's it's really sort of come full circle. So um, you know, if you've seen a lot of the commentary on the uh, uh, Walter Isaacson biography of Steve Jobs, uh, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about how. You know, you need to sort of um, move move markets and 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 start with you know kind of a blue ocean uh, approach, uh, and the iPad and and tablets represent uh, a, a a reboot in some ways on what we think of as a personal computer, uh, and uh, and so Apple has you know been able to leverage the move from iPod to you know that music that uh, digital music franchise. Uh, to the iPhone, uh, which really marked the debut of iOS, uh, to the iPad, which extends uh, iOS into a larger form factor, and now increasingly is is bringing more of the functionality. Um, not not an exact overlap, but but uh, you know certainly the iPad is is more of a substitute for uh, for a PC or a notebook uh, than uh, uh, their previous non Mac products have been. So if a person buys an iPad. New customer for Apple. Do we see them that they'll consider when they need a new smartphone, not get an iPhone? Sure. Well, uh, you know, certainly the the move um, and and what uh, companies like Apple, Google, and Microsoft uh, are are betting on uh, is that uh, you know consumers will see that uh, products that remain in the same ecosystem. Uh, work work best uh, together. So uh, clearly, Apple has uh, been doing some work over the you know past few years to try to bring uh, some popular elements of the iPad uh, over to uh, over to the Mac and and vice versa. And uh, Microsoft, of course, is uh, is moving to a common user interface to to the extent that it can uh, across. Um, Notebooks and tablets, uh, which it basically views as the the same big mega category, uh, and uh, and phones uh, with the new uh, with with this uh, metro uh, user uh, user interface. Now, during the quarterly conference call with analysts, Apple CEO Tim Cook said that convergence can't go too far, and he's speaking in the sense of Windows 8, and he's likening it to a refrigerator. And a toaster, and never the twain shall meet. I guess is what he infers. Uh, you know, clearly Microsoft sees things differently uh, and uh, believes that uh, you know the it's just a fundamental uh, philosophical uh, difference uh, where Apple sees this tablet as a a pure. Uh, developed from scratch, multi-touch uh, experience, um, one that that uh, has different demands uh, of um, of hardware and software, certainly uh, than um, uh, you know than than Microsoft does, where it feels that it can uh, adapt Windows and bring it forward uh, into this. Um, uh, in, into this this new form factor, uh, one that of course they've tried before uh, and have not had a lot of success with, but uh, uh, which they are are making a, a much stronger push 
than uh, than they have before, both in terms of the chip architectures they're supporting uh, and the types of uh, multi-touch displays and user interface uh, that they are that they are implementing. So, you know, clearly both approaches uh, have their their trade-offs. Um, the the potential upside to uh, benefit to Microsoft's approach uh, is that a PC vendor implementing something with a detachable screen uh, that can uh, act as a keyboard can make the case that, hey, you know, you, you don't need a separate tablet. Here's one device that can act in, in both modes. But haven't they already tried that with tablets? They've tried to have these notebook computers with convertible screens and a stylus and everything, and they went nowhere. Well, sure, um, because the user experience in in the tablet, uh, when when being used as a tablet, uh, was not a great user experience uh, because uh, they had relatively poor battery life. They ran hot. So, you know, essentially uh, Windows RT or, you know, Windows on ARM processors is going to be on relatively equal footing uh, from a hardware perspective as, uh, as Android and, and iOS. Um, what's going to be different is the, the design, whether, you know, wh- whether it's been designed from the ground up. Uh, from that for that uh, touch screen finger friendly experience now the metro user interface is, and the question is you know how uh, realistic is it for a Windows eight user to stay in that mode all the time uh, if they want if they want to stay in that mode uh, all the time you know clearly this is something that Microsoft has uh, has wrestled with before. Uh, in the transition from the command line interfaces uh, of DOS to to Windows, which was a mouse-driven interface, uh, and now it you know uh, is is betting that it can it can take on uh, this this touch user experience as well. I think the but, question uh, though is that so far that particular interface motif that you see, for example, on Windows Phone hasn't really been all that popular. Have you heard anything, or is it too early yet? as to whether the new Nokia Lumia 900 is doing anything for AT&T? I mean, it's, it has been pretty early. I mean, I, I think you have to um, consider relative metrics of success. You know, is it, is, it, uh, is it a success for Nokia compared to their previous phones in the U.S. over the past few years? Um, well, four people probably- buy it, it's a success because their phones haven't done that well here. Right, so you know they're they're looking to to move the needle. You know clearly, um, I it's too early for me to say whether it's resulted in a significant market expansion for Windows Phone. I think also it's a matter of customer taste. I know a lot of us have tried Metro on Windows Phone and also on the Windows 8 customer previews, and we don't like it. We don't like the idea, and we don't like the concept. You know, it might be okay for just very simple stuff on a smartphone, but maybe it doesn't translate well. But the marketplace will tell us that. And maybe the other question to ask you when we resume in the next segment, Ross Rubin, is whether Microsoft should be considering a plan B just in case the Metro interface doesn't take off on Windows 8. What do they do? Ross Rubin of the NPD Group joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. 
If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. In an emergency situation, would you drink contaminated water? You could if you had the amazing LifeStraw from MyPatriotSupply.com. LifeStraw is the most advanced personal water filter available today. It filters contaminated water from almost any source. LifeStraw is lightweight and compact, perfect for hiking, camping, or in an emergency like a flood. LifeStraw is easy to clean, comes with a one-year warranty, and has been used worldwide since 2005. Get the amazing LifeStraw personal water filter at MyPatriotSupply.com. Plus, check out Survival Seed Vault, 20 seed varieties for only $37.95, Tatler canning lids, long-term storable foods as low as $69.95, and much more at MyPatriotSupply.com. Enjoy stress-free shipping on all orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927 or visit MyPatriotSupply.com. That's 866-229-0927, MyPatriotSupply.com. For emergency preparedness, self-reliance, and food independence. Attention, information in this one-minute message could save your life. Don't wait for the next emergency to happen. Act now to be prepared. Now, more than ever, civilians and communities must communicate with family, friends, and neighbors in the event of civil unrest, natural disasters, or other emergencies. That's why there's CivilDispatch.com. CivilDispatch.com is a universal system that can be used for a wide array of urgent notification alerts. Weather emergencies, civil unrest, emergency responders, amber alerts, school or business closings, any need-to-know situation. CivilDispatch.com is an emergency dispatch communication system, allowing anyone to quickly and easily send and instantaneously track emergency email and text alert notifications. CivilDispatch.com gives you the power of enterprise alerting without the enterprise cost. Don't find yourself unprepared. Learn more and become a member at CivilDispatch.com. That's CivilDispatch.com. Civilian Emergency Dispatch System. Peace through preparedness. How would you like to have normal blood pressure? This is Ernesto from Illinois. I had my doctor's appointment yesterday and I got my labs in. My HDL is 119L and my LDL is 37L. My doctor asked what I was doing to lower it so much, so I told her about HB Extract. Millions of people like Ernesto are suffering from high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, unbalanced cholesterol, irregular heartbeat, and clogged arteries. But now there's an effective, natural, 100% organic nutritional supplement for a healthy heart and circulation. Heart and Body Extract. My blood pressure has not gone past 125 over 80 in almost a month. Experience amazing benefits when your body gets what it needs with the assistance of Heart and Body Extract. She did a double take when she looked at my ER labs. She couldn't believe it. Order at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. Thank you. Heart and Body Extract. 
Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next. We have Ross Rubin of the NPD Group. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. And we were talking about, I guess, Microsoft kind of almost betting the farm that Windows 8, the Metro interface, similar to what you already see on Windows Phone, is going to work on an operating system for desktop computers, on ARM processors for tablets. But if it doesn't work, does Microsoft have a plan B? You know, Microsoft has always evolved uh, the user interface um, to to try to make it better, more palatable, while the basic paradigm of Windows has stayed pretty consistent, you know, at least the, the user interface aspect, has stayed relatively consistent from... Uh, you know, Windows 95 uh, up to Windows 7, even even into Windows 8. Um, you know, they they've added things over the years. Of course, Apple uh, has also added things over the years to the Mac OS 10 uh, user interface. Ba- based on on what I've seen of, of Metro, um, you know, on phones and on desktops, it um, you know it it it, it's, it doesn't seem to be a fundamentally flawed uh, approach. Uh, you know there are some appealing aspects to it. It is very minimalist. It's very clean. Um, you know you were you were saying before the break that uh, a lot of people don't like the experience, but then again, a lot of people do like the experience. Um, it's certainly differentiated from what Apple and Android are uh, are doing, uh, and um, you know. And if you were to go around, go 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 about designing a touch first uh, experience, you you could certainly do a lot worse uh, than uh, than Metro. So it seems to me that um, you know people who have gotten the phones like the experience. the The real question, uh, or one of the main questions, is whether. Microsoft will be able to maintain that level of consistency as it seeks to expand uh, the number of phones that, that that Windows Phone runs on, and 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 you know that's something they'll they'll face in the PC market as well. But and while it's still early, you know they uh, they seem to be doing a, a a decent job at that. I think the big question here is how the business world will react to Metro, because they don't really want to have to retrain customers just because they install a new operating system because their customers are busy running apps not worrying about operating system stuff but there's a there's a you know counter argument which is that uh, they also have a huge investment in Windows development and Windows PCs and Windows, you know, management of those Windows systems, uh, and they would like to build on and preserve that investment uh, without necessarily having to adopt a new operating system uh, for a lot of those applications. Sure, but uh, all they have to do though is just not upgrade. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you know, a lot of major enterprises are. Uh, software assurance customers so you know at at some point you know they they would they would likely upgrade i mean in general of course corporations are slower uh to upgrade than uh, uh than consumers are you know because there's more infrastructure more testing uh, that they need to do but uh you know clearly uh there's you know one it, it's not difficult to uh, imagine um how tablets could be useful to corporations and enterprises uh and uh you know i think microsoft has uh has a pretty good story uh to uh to tell there in terms of 
uh, preserving uh, investments and and allowing uh, companies to use familiar tools and the security, you know, uh, security. And yeah, but the we understand that. But that Metro is not for. familiar. It's a brand new interface. But they would be using a brand new interface if they adopted one of the alternatives as well. well how many times do we see people well, then, then who you, bought over the years would buy new Windows computers and downgrade to XP? Well, certainly that won't that won't be um, uh, an option if 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 they want ARM. So you know, there's that. Well, of course, it's, it's um, a question of but, whether they'd be willing to buy those Windows tablets under ARM. We'll have to see. I mean, well, you know, the other the other well, issue here, which is yeah. with Microsoft, is the last quarterly report indicated that sales are beginning to fall on the consumer products such as the Xbox. So where's the next Xbox? It hasn't been receiving a major upgrade in several years. Well, the, ne- the next Xbox may well be the next Xbox. Uh, you know, in, in general, we're, we're pretty deep into this cycle of, of video game consoles uh, uh, across the three major providers. And uh, Nintendo, um, for example, uh, uh, you know, discuss their next generation console uh, last year. Well, I'm sure we'll see more details about it at E3. Uh, and uh, you know, Sony recently revved their handheld console in in the PS Vita. Um, so perhaps at this E3 or next E3, we may see Sony or Microsoft uh, reveal details of of their next generation console, the home console. Now, the other issue, of course, is the. <laughs> Gorilla in the room, of course, is the iOS. More and more games are being done for the iOS. The new iPad has better graphics processing. Are we going to see more and more people who might have bought traditional gaming consoles instead buying an iPad using an Apple TV to play the game on a TV? I, I, I think you know. Well, that, that's probably more of a factor in the portable game space, which was a smaller market anyway. And of course, you know, people are more constrained in terms of um, you know how many devices they can uh, carry on their person without uh, looking like Batman. You know, um, uh, so uh, well. Remember, you know, maybe, this maybe summer some- they'll be looking like Batman because of the movie. Mm. <laughs> Perhaps uh, yes, for for uh, cosmetic reasons. Right, the reasons. Dark Knight Rises. Uh, Right. Uh, you know, certainly if you look at what Sony is trying to do with the Vita or, you know, um, you know, trying to uh, uh, make the case for 50 or $60 games, you know, whereas, as we know, most iOS games sell for are either free or a couple of bucks usually, uh, you know, it, it's definitely appearing appealing more to that uh, hardcore gamer now in, in the in, and in the home console market I I think there are parallels you know um, certainly the Xbox and PS3 can do a lot of different things uh, but uh, but it's more about the uh, the depth of the gameplay and, and having access to those AAA uh, uh, titles and you know at least today Apple really doesn't have a strong play uh, in, in the living room, which is, of course, uh, why many people suspect they, they will get into the TV set market. Speaking of Apple, obviously they did really well with their second largest quarterly revenue for what is their fiscal second quarter. But I guess the other question people might have is a lot of that growth comes from outside of the U.S. So are we seeing, and I guess this is with any tech company, more and more of the key sales these companies can expect in the future, a large portion of their growth has to come from overseas, has to come from emerging nations, has to come from China, for example. I mean, sure, I, I think any 
you know corporation of of Apple's um, scale uh, would would have to uh, uh, or, or you know any any company producing devices certainly of, of Apple scale would would need to look seriously at China and you know um, emerging uh, economies. Um, you know, it's just a, a huge uh, population, uh, and um, there's the robust demand for uh, Apple's uh, Apple's products in 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 that region. So even if sales are flattening in the U.S. and demand is flattening in the U.S., there's a big world out there. Sure. Let's look at some other just things in general technologies. And I know over the past couple of years, you and I have talked about 3D TVs and about the fact that people didn't care. But now we're seeing that basically any TV set, almost any TV set other than the cheapest model from a major manufacturer is 3D. So whether you want 3D or not, it's there. Right. Right. So, you know, this is consistent with, uh, you know, something that um, I believe we've discussed before, you know, a a perspective I've long held, which is that, you know, uh, the implications for the consumer electronics companies um, are are uh, are not uh, not really of concern. You know, uh, they've gotten the products out there and it's just, you know, it's become another feature. Um, the, however, you know, because of the requirement to put on the glasses, um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be a robust uh, home 3D market. And that's because, something we'll uh, get into in our next segment. We have Ross Rubin all right. of the NPD Group. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack, attack, attack. of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, attack, of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack Attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. So you're a maker of something. Woodcrafts, fishing lures, glass designs, jewelry, purses, perfumes, goat's milk soap. Whatever it is, you made it here in America. Now you're eager for people to buy your products right here locally. Instead of buying competing products made on the other side of the world, right? Then you need to check out localmakers.com. Support America. Buy and sell locally at localmakers.com. Doesn't matter if you're a home-based business or a major manufacturer. Localmakers.com offers an easy way to connect with customers within your local community as well as across the U.S., simply by entering a zip code and there's no cost to join so if you're a maker who needs buyers go to localmakers.com and stock your products on one of our shelves localmakers.com 
promoting, preserving, and supporting your neighbor's manufacturing businesses. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection action so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. You may snicker when you hear this message, but you won't laugh after you experience the best-kept health secret ever, camel milk. Camel milk is loaded with health benefits far superior to other milk. Camel milk has antibacterial, antiviral, and anti-tumor properties, is rich in B vitamins, and camel milk is three times higher in vitamin C than cow's milk and 10 times higher in iron. And camel milk contains 52 units of insulin-like proteins per liter, effectively lowering blood sugar levels. Many of our members testified that drinking camel milk reversed diabetes and greatly improved autism. Camel milk is easily digested by those who are lactose and beta casein intolerant and comes fresh or frozen from your trusted local family farm shipped on dry ice to preserve freshness. Go to CamelMilkForSale.com now and look under Products and Pricing for this spring special with free bonus pints. That's CamelMilkForSale.com, CamelMilkForSale.com. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Ross Rubin of the NPD Group. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night How Live. And after talking about Apple, talking about Microsoft, we're into TVs. And the fact, of course, that more and more TV sets as standard equipment, you don't pay any more money, have 3D. But as you point out, that doesn't mean that families are going to sit there every week and watch 3D content. Or if the glasses are optional, are going to buy those glasses, right? Well, or, or right, it really, I think, comes down to the content. You know, certainly with uh, passive systems, you know, at least you don't have to keep the glasses charged. There's not, uh, you know, a very significant premium to buying a few extra pairs of glasses. But, uh, you know, it's a combination of there just not being a um, very rich selection uh, of, uh, of 3D content out there, particularly outside of um, animated uh, kids' movies. Uh, and um, uh, secondly, uh, you know, having to, to go through that experience of, of, you know, tracking down the glasses, uh, potentially charging them, and, and of course wearing them uh, for, for the duration of, uh, of the movie. And I think uh, one of the things that, that may actually help 3D is that also a lot of these sets... Um, are increasingly becoming connected sets. So uh, that, uh, that may help in some ways with the distribution 
uh, of the 3D titles. So, uh, you know, you may not need to track down the, uh, the 3D Blu-ray if you, uh, if you see something on, on Netflix uh, or Vudu. Uh, you know, you, you'll be able to stream that uh, uh, increasingly and, and, you know, enjoy that experience uh, directly, directly from the set. Well, without having to leave your home. Now, we talked about TVs in an earlier segment of the show with tech writer Jeffrey Morrison. But an issue I'll ask you about is what about 3D without the glasses? How's that coming? Are we going to see something three to five years hence where we can ditch the glasses and watch 3D without having to go through conniptions? I mean, you know, we, we've seen a lot of demonst- you know, we, we see a lot of demonstrations at CES. Uh, you know, clearly the challenge is, is doing it at, at a wide enough viewing angle uh, with good enough quality. That's um, the point. It's like the head and the vice syndrome, like the early <laughs> days of stereo sound. To get the best effect, you had to sit there in the living room within a narrow range. Otherwise, it didn't sound so good. Right. And, and even today, you know, there's a lot of, you know, that we, we see 3D signage, uh, which is really the market for glasses-free 3D, where if you're in the you know the sweet spot, you know you, you can see the effect. So um, today, of course, we have glasses-free 3D on small screens, personal screens, uh, devices like the 3DS. Uh, you know, probably we'll see it more on tablets or notebooks as a uh, you know where which have the processing power to do the the eye tracking um, and uh, and adjust the uh, the image as appropriate. Okay, uh, that's the point you mentioned. Eye tracking. In other words, if you're sitting before your device, it has to look at your eyes to see where the eyes are moving to know how to present this effect? Uh, that's, that's certainly one approach oh, that, uh, that I've seen. You know. Imagine with a family of kids well, running back and forth, the thing would blow up and start smoking. Uh, Exactly. So that that's one of the big challenges in in a not only a large screen, you know, where you'd have a wide viewing angle, but a a screen that would have multiple viewers. Now the other issue here is in terms of technologies. We have LCD, we have plasma, OLED. Now OLED's very expensive today, and I read the other day Apple had applied for a patent for changing the brightness on OLED, which I guess the sets that are out now, the very few. It's a difficult thing to even change brightness. It's complicated. Hmm. I mean, I, you know, we, we saw the first sort of uh, commercial, um, commercially available OLED, uh, you know, big screen uh, OLED TVs uh, demonstrated at, at CES from, from Samsung and LG. Uh, I imagine, you know, they'll ship uh, sometime this year. Uh, but uh, it's like what flat panel was 10, 15 years ago. It's ten thousand dollars. Exactly. So you know we're in the very early days of OLED TV, but but it is relevant to the idea of an Apple television set because you know the thinness uh, and contrast uh, that you can achieve with with OLED uh, would certainly be the kind of qualities that that Apple uh, would uh, would desire to make a a big splash in the TV market. Well, on the other hand, Apple doesn't want to price it out of the normal range. You can say, well, Apple charges a premium price, but with the iPhone in terms of the end user with a subsidized contract or with an iPad, it's not really a premium price. It's a competitive price. So if Apple tries to do things that are too exotic, although maybe the retina display on the new iPad's exotic, they have to be careful because if they charge five or $10,000 for a set, you know, three people will buy them. I mean, how many people buy the Bose TV 
at five thousand dollars. Not 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 too many. Fourteen. You know, and, and as a matter why, of fact, I think I got the figures right here. You see, right here, fourteen. That's why Pioneer, you know, for example, needed to leave the market with its uh, well-regarded Kuro displays because people just weren't, you know, paying that that kind of price. So. And the thing is, people have to perceive the improved value. I mean, right now, if you look at any TV set at your Best Buy, assuming Best Buy is going to hang around, well, that's another story. Look at your local Best Buy and watch 30 different TV sets, and there's not that much difference between them. They all look good. Well, certainly the baseline has, uh, has you know, m- much higher than it was uh, a decade ago. Yes, absolutely. Right. I mean, just choosing one or the other, I suspect people will look at price, screen size, and maybe what they perceive to be a brighter screen, which, of course, doesn't translate into a better screen at home. But the point being, as you say, the baseline is increasing. The price of TVs is descending. 3D is affordable. So what does the TV maker do for the next act? Because obviously, this race to the bottom is not helping their bottom lines. Yeah, you know, it's going to be very challenging to replicate what we saw in, you know, the middle of uh, of the last decade uh, where we had these twin forces of flat panel and digital uh, really driving, you know, the TV market. Uh, we we don't tend to see those kinds of transitions occur very often in, in major, uh, ma- major categories like TV. So, I think a lot of TV companies are betting on connectivity, uh, and if even the um, the proposition around so-called smart TVs may be a, a bit elusive today, uh, the idea that at least these TVs will uh, be open to receiving wireless uh, video and connectivity from tablets and smartphones uh, and enabling those kinds of multi-screen experiences. Kind of like what Apple's doing now with the AirPlay feature, which will in terms of regular Macs, be part of Mac OS X Lion. But you have to think here that now with a good LCD or plasma set lasting 10, 15 years, they're really going to have to work hard to get you to upgrade before then. Um, yes, that's, uh, that's probably going to be a challenge. Um, I mean, there are some interesting ideas around things that could be done with uh, uh, cable um, uh Cable tying into televisions and and uh, and tying TVs to cable services, which might possibly drive subsidization. So uh, uh, that that could mean big changes for the TV market. So, for example, if I sign up with Directv, I get my flat panel set for five hundred dollars with a two-year contract. Something like that, yes. Hmm. Well, that's one way to sell TVs. <laughs> or get more people to sign up because now we have the opposite problem, which is people are cutting the cable cord. And seeing if they can live with Netflix or live with iTunes. And maybe that's the direction where Apple wants to take whatever the heck they're going to do. But we don't know what Apple's going to do. We never do. (laughs) The mystery of the ages. Ross Rubin, where can we find on this planet or any other (laughs) planet, as a matter of fact? Because we do that, too, on our other show. The stuff that you do. Well, if the other planets have access to Twitter, uh, as this one does, uh, you can follow me at at sign uh, Ross Rubin, R-O-S-S-R-U-B-I-N. Okay, E.T., you out there. E.T., phone, Ross Rubin. I promise to follow him back. So. <sighs> You'll follow E.T.? I, I will. Okay, ironclad yeah, commitment. Sure you can follow us, by the way, at Tech Night Owl. That's at Tech Night Owl on Twitter or TechNightOwl.com to get to the website directly. News at TechNightOwl.com is our email address. 
forum.technightowl.com. Forum.technightowl.com is for our forums. And speaking of ET and all that other stuff, we have another radio show. The Paracast about UFOs, things that go bump in the night. The Paracast, Paracast.com. Ross Rubin, thanks for joining us this week on the Tech Night Owl Live. My pleasure as always, Gene. Thank you. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.